Oh, we're having fun on a Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, BJ Bennett, more than excited that I'm here on a Friday. We're glad that you're here as well. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, at Pigskin Radio. A lot to get to. We'll look at the ACC and SEC heading into the weekend. Some really big games uh, coming up. Also, uh, we'll chat with Augusta Stone of the state newspaper, and we'll get her thoughts on South Carolina and Georgia. Also, Tim Frisbee, who some of you may remember uh, back in the early 2000s, made headlines, was actually on College Game Day. As a 39-year-old, he made the South Carolina football team and actually was able to go out and play. He played against Troy uh, in 2005, but was one of the oldest players to play college football, uh, a major college football. I think he still might be the oldest player to play major college football uh, at the age of 39. So he'll join us, and obviously he played at South Carolina, so we'll get his thoughts on South Carolina and Georgia coming up this weekend as well. But a lot of big games coming up, BJ and Ben. Talk about kind of the week three spotlight here on a number of programs. You've got obviously the SEC games with Florida, Bama, Penn State, and uh, and Auburn in a non-conference game that are going to garner a lot of attention. But there's some really intriguing off-to-the-side matchups in college football this weekend. It's a great Saturday. It, it, it really is a great weekend slate. You have uh, Louisville hosting Central Florida tonight, among some other games. But, yes, when you look to Saturday, you're thinking about Alabama and Florida, obviously. You're thinking about, uh, of course, Auburn at Penn State. You're thinking about here uh, in our state, uh, Clemson and Georgia Tech and uh, South Carolina playing at Georgia. But I think around the country, and, of course, Georgia Southern taking on Arkansas, uh, I, think, I think around the country, the game that really stands out to me is Cincinnati. And this is a noon game, so unlike some of those night games, you don't have to stay up until 1 o'clock in the morning. But we've talked about Cincinnati all, all preseason, all offseason, and I really think if there's a team that if the circumstances were to fall into place that could make a really convincing argument about their resume and being potentially involved in the playoff, it would be Cincinnati this year. Now, you had an early loss from Indiana, so not the hype around this game that you would have had, but still a good team out of the Big Ten and a team that's been in the national rankings. And Cincinnati goes on the road uh, to play Indiana. And again, it's on ESPN. And Cincinnati's been great. They haven't been tested. They haven't played big-time competition yet. But uh, through their first two games, they've won by a combined total of 91 to 21. And uh, you think about MyJ Sanders, you think about Ahmad Gardner, you think about Desmond Ritter. Uh, these, are, these are pro players. These are guys that could be first-round picks in the NFL draft. Luke Fickle's done a great job with that program. You guys know that I'm a big fan of uh, G5 football. You think about the Coastal Carolinas, the Appalachian States, the Boise States. Keep an eye on Cincinnati, Kevin, out of your favorite conference, the ACK, this weekend. If they beat Indiana, they have Notre Dame later in the season – the, the act is going to come with some big games. Memphis is a good team. Central Florida is obviously a very good team ranked. If Cincinnati goes undefeated, this is a resume that belongs in the national conversation, but it starts tomorrow afternoon. You've got to go to Indiana and get a win. Desmond Renner knows, guys, uh, <clears throat> kind of on that, uh, kind of doing what UCF did, right? UCF kind of started this conversation of okay, you got you got team, you got the, uh, these not usual suspects trying to crack uh, this college football playoff coming into the season. BJ and Kevin it was all about Iowa State. Well, that's over with. Iowa said, please, that, that that's a hope and a dream. Those guys are not ready for the big time. You look at you, this same uh, Cincinnati team. 
you know, played Georgia really, really close. You know, uh, in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, it was it was a really, really good game. Obviously, came down to a uh, to a. Uh, I mean, obviously, lost by a field goal, but. They're a team to where look at it, look at look at who they're playing. Gonna play UCF, obviously. You know, uh, uh, BJ, you talking about gonna play uh, Notre Dame <laughs> has a quarterback that's gonna definitely uh, you know be one to watch. You know, at the next level. But I just think when you start talking about a team like Cincinnati, that's what make the road so rough. You're doing it for more than just you. Like it's almost like like Coastal Carolina last year. Hey, we play football here too. I know. You know, we beat we beat BYU. Yeah, I know. So for me, appreciate that, sir. <laughs> A quick sip of the I, hold on, H2O. I, 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 That's high quality H two O. Don't know. Don't listen. Listen. Don't know if I sound any different. Doing, doing a lot of yelling yesterday. I'm not gonna tell you why I was yelling yesterday, but I will say Cincinnati. I am rooting for you guys because I, th- I think at the end of the day, Christian and Kevin and BJ and PJ, it's. It's it's always it's always it's always an uphill battle when my resume and what I do on the field is not enough. I have to pass the eye test. It's how I win, not not how you know, not how I beat the team I play. But I, I give I give Cincinnati uh you know a fighter's chance this year, uh, BJ. But unfortunately for them, they got to complete. They got to uh, go undefeated and look good doing it. And again, I think this is a Cincinnati team that's looking for some early uh, national respect out there. Here's one uh, Notre Dame after a just horrid performance last week. Their win over Florida State, who's sitting there at 0-2. We'll see if Florida State gets one uh, this week. But right now, Notre Dame and Purdue, an in-state rival kind of. Uh, there for both of these teams, and Notre Dame kind of being a little petty, saying Purdue, you can't bring that the world's tallest or world's largest drum up in here, uh, even though they carry it everywhere. If you've seen Purdue, they got the huge uh, drum they like to uh, to carry around. But Notre Dame, could this be an upset waiting to happen there with the, the Fighting Irish, who blew a big lead, had to win in overtime against Florida State, and then did not look good last week. Perhaps, you know, I kind of think that that this might be a game, though, where uh, Notre Dame plays more up to their potential and and Purdue's one of those tricky teams that you never know what you're going to get. But Notre Dame, you're right. I mean, it has not been a great start to the season for a top 10 team. I mean, clearly they've been the least impressive top 10 team. When you think about a back and forth game, and I understand the emotion, but a back and forth game that goes into overtime with Florida State, who looked terrible the week after, uh, and then you had to rally and get a little lucky late to beat Toledo, who is a good team, but not a great team. Maybe Notre Dame finally puts it all together, but we got to find a way to get this drum in this game, okay? Apparently in the show notes here, Purdue's 10-foot-tall drum called the World's Largest Drum has 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 Purdue has performed with it at every game since 1979, including at Notre Dame. Now, there have been some renovations. Apparently, Notre Dame recently renovated the stadium and allows their players, uh, only allows their players to use the main tunnel. I mean, and, and the guest tunnel is too small for the drum. Listen, either take it through the main tunnel or let's get a helicopter and drop it in there or do whatever we got to do. We have to get we have to get the drum in there. I mean, produce an engineering school, right? Figure it out. Oh, that's a good point. How how do you get a round drum through a square opening in in the side of the stadium? 
Yeah, how how, how can done. we how can the players find a way to utilize the injuries that you got to let us utilize? How many how how can we break it down and let the, and let the cheerleaders and the band bring it in so we can, <laughs> and, and how long and, and do we get twenty minutes to put it together? But no, I mean Notre Dame is being petty. I mean let the, let the freaking drum in. I mean my goodness. I mean or. If you Purdue, bump y'all rules. What y'all gonna do? <laughs> we're gonna go through. We're gonna go through y'all tunnel anyway. And it didn't Purdue beat. I, we're not too many years removed from Purdue beating uh beating Ohio State or some of that. Right. So they, they know how to be uh party crashes. You know what? That's what. That's why they're gonna lose this weekend. You don't. You don't want us to bring in the ten foot drum. That's why we're gonna put. You know, we're gonna beat y'all team like a drum. How about that? They're gonna end up taking that L. So shout out to the Purdue boys for getting that. Hopefully, getting that win this weekend. Yeah, I mean, th- those guys on the Apollo thirteen movie figured out how to put a square peg in a round hole in like ten minutes. Why can't they just do that with the uh, the drum? Get it in the stadium and let's go. I mean, you can't just say it's the engineer school. I mean, it is. On. Produce engineering school, figure it out. So not, so not, so now you. It's won't. not their fault, but they're engineers. They are there to solve problems. I.e., let's get the drum in the stadium. Like I mean, that's that's what they're there for. And if anybody, I agree, okay, but, take but, it down but, Notre but, Dame's yeah, tunnel. And yeah. if anybody stops, you said, look, about, we're engineers. We're here to figure out the problem. Yeah, I mean, what about just take it through the main tunnel? I mean, Ben, you said that. I think that's. I think there's kind of a logical sort of answer to this. And I get the engineering. You can break it all down, whatever, or figure it out, or build some sort of contraption but let's just just bring it through the no, main no, tunnel no no, no. it's this, a part this, of their no. tradition yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no. This, this is what's supposed to happen. <clears throat> Here it is. ESPN Coastal. We just happen to be doing the game. Me and Christian said, come on, Kevin. Come on, PJ. We finna put the thing. We're we going to take the freaking thing. We're not supposed to be in that tunnel. And so bring the thing in here. BJ going to say, dude, I'm, I'm going to respect their rules and not. No, you and Touchdown Jesus, we're going to bring this thing in the freaking tunnel. Like, that's just being all the way petty. No, I mean, so. <laughs> Moving along from that, I'm not going to say what Christian said. Uh, okay, well, there you go. Moving on. Hey, an interesting game. We've already seen one coach fired here in college football. Could we see a second coach fired this week? Nebraska at Oklahoma. Nebraska wanted no part of this game. Nebraska in trouble with the Big Ten because last year they are like, oh, the Big Ten doesn't want to play? We're out here trying to schedule games on the side. Scott Frost hasn't met expectations. You get Brett Bielema in the first week uh, of the college football season by Illinois, and now you've got Oklahoma, a team that's contending for the college football playoff. I mean, if this goes badly... No, no. Does win, it, no, when no, it goes no, back, no, in college football, you can't say win because okay. college football has so many bumps and curves that, like, whenever you expect something to happen, it doesn't. You know, like, who, who would have thought that Ohio State would have a loss already? Not, not many people. So, if this thing goes badly, is Scott Frost, who is a legend on the field, not coaching, but a legend on the field at Nebraska, could he be this? Could you have guys at. USC, Southern Cal, and Nebraska potentially fired before the season's even a month old. Uh, first off, this is not going to go well. I agree with I, I agree with Ben. I mean, Kevin, I get that college football is unpredictable and, you know, gets, gets a little weird, but you're talking about an Oklahoma team that in week one had a real test from Tulane, and you heard a lot of people say, wow, is Oklahoma overrated? And they came out and they won 76 to nothing last weekend. So I don't think this is going to go well. But, Ben, I know you've talked about programs that you played against. You know, you played against Tennessee during their heyday, and now Tennessee's struggling. I mean, to me, it's – 
kind of sad to see Nebraska like this. And Nebraska, when I was growing up and getting into grade school and first getting into college football, talking about dynasties. You're talking about Tom Osborne. I know being one of you and I's favorite player, Tommy Frazier is in the conversation for greatest college football player ever. Won a national championship in the late 90s. I think shared one right with Michigan, maybe in 98 or somewhere in there. And, and I mean, you're just bad. And I don't think it's getting better. Um, I guess my question for y'all would be, okay, you fire Scott Frost. Now what? Are you going to out? Are you going to outbid SC for, for Bob Stoops or Eric Bieniemy, or, or are you going to call Urban Meyer and get him to leave the Jaguars? I mean, what's the, <laughs> what's the path forward for the Cornhuskers? <clears throat> I don't, I don't know. I really, really don't know. But sometimes, but sometimes BJ, if you know, Scott Frost, I understand what he did at UCF coming back. He's a legend. If you got a legend that all he ever wanted to do was coach Nebraska, and this is how it look, he he he's a part of the problem. He's not the end all be all of the problem. But sometimes when you start talking about the '90s, you know who doesn't know about the '90s? Nobody. He's coaching. None of those kids on his team were even born when Nebraska was in their heyday. You got to deal with what you're dealing with now. And I do think Nebraska. I'm, I'm gonna say something. I heard somebody. You know. You know. My friends say, look. You're not paying. You're not paying to, uh, you know, just compete. You try, you're paying for what you used to be, the glory year. You're not going back to what you used to be. Tommy Frazier's little brother, Rod Frazier. You know what he played? He played at Florida. You know what position he played? Fullback. I'm just saying. Sometimes trying to come behind a legend is, is very, very hard to do. But BJ, I'm not, I'm not checking shots of fullbacks either, Christian. But I will say this: they're gonna get rid of. They're gonna get rid of uh, Sky Frost because it looks like he's the problem. We know he's not. Perception-wise, he's not. But they'll say if we lose, we got to get rid of him before the program just really goes downhill. We, if we get rid of Sky Frost, maybe we can save or whatever there is to save. I mean, it's 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 crazy uh, to think those college football powerhouses. But this is one of those games that. BJ, as you said, 20 years ago, this would be 3.30 game of the week type stuff. Or, I guess in today's climate, it would be the 8 o'clock must-watch. We waited all day to see this game. And now it's Big Noon Saturday. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, but I'm, I'm saying, but like uh, 20 years ago, this would be one of the games to watch in, in college football. Now the, the N stands for not winning on the side of helmet uh, there for, uh, for, for Nebraska. Yeah, it says for no championships in the Big Ten. That's what it stands nope. for. Well, it used to be the N stands for knowledge. Now they're well steeped in the, in the knowledge that they're not winning anything anytime soon. So there you go. I mean, Kevin says. I don't have, it, been, well, I have no, no problem with that. With it stands for nope. It stands for not today. Not ever. Yes. WWW. Don't act like you've never heard the joke on Nebraska. The N on the helmet stands for knowledge. Come on. Kevin, you already don't like NC State. Now you're coming after Nebraska. I mean, just make the list long of teams you don't like. I mean, maybe it's a huge list. Well, I'll have to explore this one day. <laughs> All the teams that I have something per- – I don't really have anything personal against Nebraska, but I do think they are trying to relive past glories, and it's going to be very, very tough. Some other quick games I did want to hit on before we step aside. Well, maybe we only have time for one here quickly. Uh, Auburn-Penn State, a big one out of conference. We'll get to the SEC full preview, but this is a big one because we're going to find out how good Auburn is, and I think we see whether Penn State is a – true contender nationally heading into their Big Ten schedule, depending on how it goes this weekend. Yeah, I think from an SEC standpoint, this reshapes how we view Auburn. You know, right now, back in the preseason, people thought probably not going to be a contender. Then you saw what they did in week one and week two, and you're looking around going, maybe? Might they be pretty good? If they win this game in Happy Valley on Saturday night, you look at them as the top contender to Alabama in the SEC West, and guess what? 
Later in the year, Auburn hosts Alabama. So if they win this game, have that momentum, move into the national top <clears throat> 10 probably, and you're starting to look at them a lot differently, all thoughts are going to go ahead to the Iron Bowl at the end of the year and ask the question, not only is Auburn the top challenger to Alabama, Bo Nix has already beat Alabama once. Could we have a game at the end of November in the Iron Bowl? Penn State, if, the, if it was ever going to be a year for them to contend uh, to try to get you know, get that Big Ten championship, it's going to be this year, uh, especially with primetime games, uh, Coach Franklin. But the curious case of Bo Nix, we will really, we will see uh, – Oh, what week three against Penn State? You know, uh, you know uh, what night game? Zombie Nation is going to be crazy. We don't really know how good or bad Bo Nix is at this point, but he's got a running game to go along with a new OC, a new head coach, taking care of the football. I know they what the number one offense in the country right now, average sixty points a game. I know they didn't really play. I uh, know big time uh, competition, so we're gonna learn a lot about Mister Bo Nix come Saturday night. Going to be a good one. We'll talk more about that in our SEC segment. Also, get to our uh, ACC preview when we return. Augusta Stone will join us in about 20 minutes. We're talking Georgia and South Carolina coming up on Saturday evening. This is 3 and Out on this Friday afternoon. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Welcome back here on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop. Glad you're making us a part of your day. A lot to get to here on the show. We'll hear from Augusta Stone with the state newspaper coming up here in just a little bit. And we'll talk South Carolina and Georgia with her. ACC, though, an interesting week. Rough couple of weeks for the league there, BJ, but a chance for some intriguing conference games uh, this week to kind of help shape what's happening in the league. North Carolina and Virginia playing. If North Carolina loses to a Virginia team that's been playing much better, they would be 0-2 in the league. That obviously turns things on its head. And some big out-of-conference games uh, out there as well. Huge game for North Carolina in the ACC Coastal. Uh, and we thought about this team a couple of weeks ago before the start of the, the, the season as a potential college football playoff dark horse. They were in the top 10. And if they lose tonight, not only – or tomorrow night, not only are they 1-2, and two, they're 0-2 in the division, which means you're done. You're not making the ACC championship game. Huge spotlight for the two quarterbacks, Sam Howell and Brennan Armstrong. We know about how Armstrong has been fantastic at Virginia, and Virginia's looked really good. Uh, they put it on Illinois a couple of weeks ago uh, after Illinois beat Nebraska. Bronco Mendenhall's done a good job, and this is a game that I think is going to be more competitive than people think, but you mentioned the non-conference games. Starts tonight, okay, Louisville at home against UCF. That would be a statement win for the ACC. It's going to be tough. UCF is really good. And then you move through the weekend, you have Virginia Tech, their rivalry game at West Virginia. That's going to be tough to win on the road. Uh, you have Miami and Michigan State. Now, that one's in Miami, but Michigan State, uh, Kenneth Walker, the Wake Forest transfer, has been one of the top running backs in college football. So you may see some points there. You think Michigan State, Miami, your mind goes to defense probably. But with Derek King and, and Walker, you may see some points in that one. But, Kevin, I mean, I, I hate to even speculate like this from an ACC standpoint, but given the way the season has gone, I mean, Ben, if Louisville loses, if Virginia Tech loses, if Miami loses, or just a couple of those teams, and maybe if North Carolina goes, I, I mean, you could be talking about a really bad start to the season. But conversely, if Virginia Tech wins, they're 3-0 and with two very impressive wins. If Miami gets through this start of Alabama, App State, and Michigan State at 2-1, and that's well done. That's well done. If Louisville beats UCF tonight, that is a statement win. So a really intriguing, interesting weekend for the ACC. 
I mean, uh, you know, BJ, when, when we keep talking about uh, North Carolina, I understand coming into the season, everybody wants Sam Howell and those guys. They kind of be the front runners this year. They, they lay an egg, I guess, week one against Virginia Tech. Why aren't we giving Virginia Tech that same love? I mean, it seems to be the fact that, it, as Kevin said, the ACC will ACC itself. And North Carolina is kind of like two years in a row, I mean, this year. I mean, this time last year we were talking about how good, um, you know, North Carolina could be. That's 4,000 yards of offense they're trying to replace. 2,000-yard rushes, 2,000-yard receivers. And people thought, you know, Sam Howell, retooled offensive line, no problem as long as we got him. But I do, I do think Louisville can make a huge statement if they find a way to beat UCF because right now we're talking about, you know, obviously Clemson is going to be Clemson when they're not playing Georgia. Clemson going to need some help because this year the ACC is not really looking like, you know, well, they're going to need some help outside, outside of themselves. I do think Virginia Tech uh, is probably going to be that team that's probably going to uh, surprise this year. Virginia obviously seems to be playing very, very well. I think Miami and Michigan State, that's going to be maybe a harder game that people are giving the credit for because I don't know what Miami team is going to show up. Nobody's going to really worry. About, nobody's going to, you know, uh, get mad at Miami for how they look against Alabama. But they scratched and clawed to beat, uh, you know, to beat App State. You talking hold about the Michigan State team that hasn't been running game? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, people say that. I've I've heard other people say that. I don't think scratching and clawing to beat App State is a bad thing. App State is a top twenty-five team. They're going to have nine or ten wins at the end of the year. And I'll say this. I mean, not to interrupt you, but I think Miami, if they win this game, don't turn the page on Miami. If you can play Alabama, App State, and Michigan State. Is your first three? I mean, Kevin, I think you said in the show meeting who made their schedule, yeah. and you're two and and you're two and one. That's an impressive start. It really is. Well, I mean, again, I, I again, I kind of wonder how they laid that out at the beginning. It's like Alabama, App State, which is going to be tricky no matter what. I mean, it it they're a tough out for anybody on on the schedule. Michigan State, an interesting choice there for uh, for Miami as well. I think this is. An, Again, I think, as you said, to me, this is where we kind of find out where Miami is. Nobody's faulting them for Alabama. It was bad. Everybody knew it was going to be bad. You bounced back in not the best way. Maybe that's the Alabama hangover where you got beat and Alabama was on you again. I, I know App State's a good team, but you pulled one out. I expect a good effort from Miami coming up tomorrow, and I think they'll, they'll, they'll prove themselves uh, in, a, in a fine way. I, again, Bryn brought up one that I think is very interesting. Virginia Tech, West Virginia. Again, a kind of old Big East rivalry game there, but one that Virginia Tech, I think, kind of validates the the win over North Carolina if they get that one, right? I mean, this is a opening night win you got over North Carolina. Had an easy go of it last week. This is where it's like, okay, maybe Virginia Tech, Justin Fuente, maybe you, maybe you, maybe you are for real here if you can get a win here against a, a rivalry game against West Virginia. I don't I mean, know. It's a fair point. It's a fair point you brought up about, you know, why aren't people giving Virginia Tech the benefit of the doubt? And I think it's because of what Kevin mentioned. There's been a hesitation with Justin Fuente because you've had some some struggles. If they win this game, and Ben, we've seen Braxton Burmeister play really good, the quarterback, the Oregon transfer. If they win this game, I'm with you. I think we need to start talking about the Hokies more. Well, look, I, I understand natural narratives. I understand coming into the league. I mean, I mean, coming into the season, you're gonna your, your team got a good shot of being ranked in the top 15 if you're a part of the, you know the best recruiting class, or you got a potential top 10 pick at the quarterback position, which North Carolina does. Sam Howe, uh, while he's really really good, he's really really bad too. He will throw the ball to the other team a lot. Now I know a game we are not talking about, and rightfully so, it's Clemson and Georgia Tech, but. Nobody is expecting Georgia Tech to beat Clemson. But how you look doing it is going to matter. Because we're talking about, we're talking about uh, coaches on the hot seat. I know we were talking about Scott Frost. 
you know, last segment, Coach Collins, I mean, he's going to have to go out there because you're going to have to start showing some improvement. I'm not saying you got to beat Clemson. That cannot be the barometer. I don't think nobody in the ACC is telling their team, hey, man, we got to beat Clemson if we're going to show some promise. No, but you're going to have to show some improvement. So, for me, you're going to have to show some improvement from week two, I mean, from week two to week three, even if it is Clemson. But I do think the ACC understands that while they're trying to win their games individually, they're trying to look good collectively. You got some good in-conference games. You got some good out-of-conference games. I do think Michigan State of Miami is going to be a lot more intriguing than people give it credit for because Kevin and BJ going back to last year when North Carolina played Miami, they did Sam Howell had nothing to do with it. That was the run game, run game, run game. And something I think uh, Ryder Jones said, some of the best players in the ACC transferred out of the ACC, and that's not good if you're going to play an ACC team like, like Miami, for which good, not great. I'm, I'm still interested to see how De'Ara King plays, but if Michigan State can make a game of it, I mean, Miami could be, be in for a dogfight. And that's a quick look at the ACC. We'll get some picks, obviously, later uh, in the show when we come back. What could be a dogfight, at least South Carolina fans are hoping it is. Georgia fans hoping it's not. Georgia and South Carolina coming up tomorrow night in uh, Athens. Augusta Stone, the state newspaper, will join us when we return here on 3 and Out. Georgia, South Carolina coming up this weekend in Athens. Another big test, first SEC game there for the Dogs. South Carolina showing some uh, some early promise, uh, coming off a, uh, a big, or getting a last-second win uh, there last week. And now joining us here to break this down from the state uh, newspaper, Augusta Stone joins us. Augusta, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks. How are y'all? I appreciate you. We're doing fantastic. Appreciate you coming on. And you now have the, uh, I guess, the... The, the ability to say you've covered this game from, from both sides, formerly worked uh, there for the, the Red and Black, now with the state newspaper. Now that you're there covering South Carolina, what is the South Carolina viewpoint coming into this game? Is this a early litmus test for, for Shane Beamer? Or is this simply where is this program at uh, competing with one of the top two or three teams in the country? Yeah, saying a litmus test might be a little bit strong. I'm not sure. <laughs> they, they definitely know the challenge that they're that they're up against with Georgia. Um, I, I mean, right now, you know, with, with Shane Beamer and everybody, they're just really excited. Um, you can kind of tell just just the program as itself is excited to get an SEC start at somewhere like Athens, you know, a place where two years ago, uh, very famously, you know, around these parts, uh, got the upset whenever they weren't expected to. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of excitement. It's, it's tough to say. I mean, you, you see the matchup, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but it, it is a little mismatch, especially at the lines of scrimmage. And, and it's kind of tough to, to say, you know, with certainty, yeah, Shane Beamer and his squad is going to be, you know, looking to see where they're at, you know, against Georgia. I think I think the true litmus test for this this program will probably come a little bit further down the line whenever they see you know, maybe Kentucky or or uh, Tennessee, perhaps. But, um, you know, it will be interesting to see how, how they fare at an SEC road contest. You know, we saw last week with their first road contest at East Carolina, which <laughs> went, went some ways uh, for sure at the beginning. But, um, yeah, I, I think there's just a lot of excitement, you know, to see if they're able to go back to Athens and, and look competitive um, against Georgia, which is obviously one of the best uh, teams in the country right now for a reason. One of the best backs in the country last year, of course. Is there a chance that we see him this weekend get 15, 18, 20 touches against Georgia? 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, with Kevin Harris and the way they've kind of taken their the running back room as a whole this this season, they're kind of just looking for that hot hand. That's why um, when we talk with their offensive coordinator, uh, Marcus Satterfield, every week, he tells us he's like, you know, we have four very capable backs. You know, they have the Quandre White, who's been around the program forever and really had a good game in the season opener against Eastern Illinois. And then last week, Juju McDowell really saved the day against East Carolina. So, you know, uh, it could be Kevin Harris. You know, it, it could be it could be Marshawn Lloyd. It could be any of those guys. It's interesting to me that they've kind of, you know, they, they've told us, you know, that Kevin Harris isn't on any sort of a pitch count. You know, they're not they're not watching him or, you know, limiting him because of his prior injury. But he really hasn't broken through yet to the degree that he was at in 2020. And and I wouldn't say with certainty that he would necessarily get more touches. I think they'll just be looking for, you know, they'll kind of be bringing them all out and just seeing who who has the hot hand that day. It could be. You know, anybody new? We've seen two two backs now have really good games this year, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's Kevin Harris. I wouldn't be surprised if it's any of the other guys. They're all pretty good, and it's kind of even. So, so I don't really know, but um, it's tough to say if it's an injury thing or if it's just a, you know, Juju McDowell had a good day in Greenville, North Carolina, and then you had the uh, Quandre Wright look good in the first the first week. So, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> possibly, I'll, I'll give it a maybe. <laughs> How, how much? How much is that? Uh, how much is that Gamecock defense kind of you know looking forward to uh, Georgia kind of finding this balance, getting back to the run game? I mean, Georgia's the team that's typically known to ground and pound, kind of been winning through the air. That uh, you know that uh, that uh, Gamecock uh, defensive line got to know that they're going to try to pound the rock a little bit, especially with it being in between the hedges at night. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's the matchup to me. If you're looking at this from a South Carolina fan perspective, that's the one that you're most optimistic about. I mean, that Gamecock defensive line is is by far the the best part of the the team right now. I mean, you have not even just like Kingsley and Igbari, who you'll you'll hear me call him JJ. That's what everyone calls him around here. Not sure where that nickname came from, but you know, you got JJ. Everyone always talks about him all the time. He's such a big deal. But then there there's other guys along that line that nobody really talks about, like Aaron Sterling. You know, they he's he's a big impact player. He's a fifth year senior. He's been around forever. And Jordan Birch is also another really big name that I know Georgia had on the recruiting radar a couple of years ago. And they all just have this ability to just get after a running back, get after a quarterback. They're really good in pass rush. And I just think that there's there's something to be said about that in that matchup, you know, with, with Georgia kind of, you know, not showing their their typical explosive run ability through the past their first couple games rather. You know, it, it's just to me that that's a matchup where if you're trying to be optimistic for anything on the South Carolina side, that's one place where I feel like you can feel a little bit more you know, confident in, um, but yeah, that, that, I'm excited to see to see how that shapes up. You know, I, I think I think that it could be a very interesting evening uh, down there for for the Gamecocks. Augusta Stone, the state newspaper, and is that the the side of the ball that needs to win the game for South Carolina? By that, I mean if they're going to get it done, it's got to be the South Carolina defense getting off the field and, and not letting Georgia's offense get on track. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And forcing turnovers, you know, I, I would say pretty confidently that if the game cards aren't able to force a couple turnovers against Georgia, that this could get ugly real fast. I mean, that was kind of what they needed against East Carolina, who, you know, group of five school on the road in a noon game. And, and I don't know if y'all saw the first half of that game, but it looked like South Carolina was doing everything to lose. And it was kind of kind of hairy, you know, over there for, for the Gamecocks. But, you know, the, their ability to get they, – they've gotten two pick sixes, one in each of their first games, and those have been absolutely 
absolutely game changers. It was against East Carolina, Damani Staley. It was the whole thing that made them, you know, kind of wake up for the second half against the Pirates and then saw them do it again against Eastern Illinois. To me, that has to be what you're hoping for. You have to hope for some turnovers. And, and it's tough to say you'll get some against Georgia. You know, they're real talented and they're real mature and real, real experienced. But to me, that has to happen if you want to be competitive in this game. You, know, you have to get some turnovers, have to get good field position. Not entirely sure about how South Carolina's offense is going to square up against Georgia's defense. I mean, Georgia's defense is incredible. One of the best defenses I've watched. I mean, I haven't been watching football forever. I'm only 23 years old. One of the best defenses I've ever watched in football, hands down. So the way the Gamecocks are going to have to score is going to have to be getting, like, short field position and then, you know, just some explosive turnovers. That's, that's the key to the game if South Carolina wants to be competitive. The Zeb Nolan story has been incredible. You know, him going from being a grad assistant, of course, to being a starter. We've seen him for a couple of weeks. He has five touchdown passes, one interception. What's going to be the key to him being able to kind of make some throws downfield? And how special is this going to be for him going going back close to home to, to start between the hedges? I know, isn't that special? I love thinking about that. You know, I, I spent four years in Athens, just graduated from there, and I know how close Watkinsville is. I know, like, he, he grew up down the field front or down the street from Sanford Stadium. You know, Zeb Nolan, it has to be a special homecoming for him. I mean, I, I, I can't wait to see, you know, how many of his family and friends show up for the game just to see him play because, I mean, he didn't even think he was going to play, you know, two or three months ago, and now he is playing basically in his hometown. But to me, it has to start with communication. I mean, that was kind of part of the errors that – that you saw last week whenever Zeb Nolan didn't look that good. I mean, his interception, I'm not saying it was, wasn't entirely his fault, but the, the receiver he was thrown to, Jalen Brooks, he didn't even turn around on the interception route or whenever Zeb threw the interception, rather. I mean, it was just it, – it, it's the kind of things where there's been mistakes. Uh, Shane Beamer told us that some of the issues with, with pass protection at, at South Carolina has been, you know, just kind of – uh, communication errors, you know, Zeb will tell the tell the line to move over when necessarily they shouldn't, and then that creates open spaces for defensive lines, and that's that's kind of rough. And that's those are the kind of things that you need to tweak, and, and that you know, Zeb Nolan has only been playing with this team for what four or five weeks now, so so hopefully they're dealing with those kind of miscommunication, those miscued errors, because that's whenever it gets kind of kind of hairy. And I know it's basic, you know, you have to get communication to be able to make those passes, but that's kind of where they're at right now. And I think if they're able to to work through that, then you could hopefully see some spark. But again, they're against this Georgia defense, so I'm not sure realistically how much can be done. But you gotta gotta clean up those small little mistakes that we saw kind of pile up last week to, to be able to get anywhere. 2019. I mean, this well, this is this South Carolina team goes to Georgia. I know it was muddy and muggy, and they come out with a big win with a with a with a receiver playing quarterback. I know that Coach Shane Beamer is a guy that respects Georgia, that understands the the tradition of this game. I know he's gonna have his team looking, you know, uh, you know, at that 2019 uh, 2019 performance. But this this secondary for uh, South Carolina has been really really good. 230 yards allowed, both you know in the air uh, combined with East you know East Illinois and East Carolina. Do you think this secondary, who's gonna get tested on? Saturday night, do, you, do they have somebody in their secondary that can provide a boost for this, not just this entire defense, but uh, this entire team? Absolutely, and his name is Cam Smith. I mean, Cam Smith, is he's as close to a ball hawk as you can get. You know, he, he really does run toward the ball. He's really, really good in their secondary. A lot of people, it was so funny, you know, in the offseason, that's, that's the number one thing that everyone was looking for in South Carolina. You know, how are they going to place J.C. Horn and Israel McQuamu, right? How is that going to happen? I'm not saying that Cam Smith is going to come out there and have two interceptions like Israel McQuamu did in 2019, but he has a shot to. I mean, they, they really – there's one thing about South Carolina. Their defense has improved 
impressed me a lot. I think Clayton White has those guys in really good shape for, for how young they are, how inexperienced they were. You know, they have so many guys transferring from all these smaller, you know, D2 kind of FCS schools. They had all sorts of attrition back there. They had all sorts of people to replace. And they still managed to put up a really, really good first two games. And so I've been impressed with that. But, yeah, I would say look out for Ken Smith. I think that he is definitely a game changer in that secondary. And, and, and I'll be looking for him to, to make some explosive plays. Not saying he's going to be a McQuamu back there, but he, he definitely could. You know, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, strange things happen in uh, the Georgia-South Carolina series uh, over the years. Uh, Augusta Stone, the state newspaper, our guest here on 3 and Out. Augusta, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Of course. Thank you all. Have a good day. Will do. And South Carolina uh, and Georgia coming up on Saturday night. And BJ talked specifically there about needing to run the football. Doesn't necessarily have to be all Kevin Harris. Have a couple of backs that can get it done. And it seems like the old school way of doing things, uh, football related, might be the best policy for South Carolina to try their best to hang in there. Run the ball and play defense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And you got some good perspective there from Augusta on the running back situation. And yes, South Carolina has, you know, three, four really good backs. But when I look at Kevin Harris, you look at what he did a year ago. This is a guy that can have that 100, 120 yard performance that gives you a chance and that takes some of that pressure uh, off Seb Nolan, again, who's, who's basically coming back home for this game. But yes, Kevin, I think you got to run the football, whether it's Harris or one of the other backs, and then been that defensive front. Uh, as, as Augusta said, has got to control the line of scrimmage and kind of set the tone for the Gamecocks defensively. It's going to have to definitely be a team effort. I mean, I, when you think about Zeb Nola, him kind of going back home in a sense, you talk about a guy like Kevin Harris who you know, just hasn't really got the touches yet this, uh, this year. Maybe he can come out and have a breakout, I mean, a breakout game. But this Georgia team is going to test you top to bottom. They're going to test you on offense, test you on defense, test you on special teams. People talking about some of the most – one of the hardest places to go in and play – Georgia at night, primetime game between the hedges. It's going to be rocking. It's going to be rough. Zeb Nolan, good luck, young man. But, yeah, that, them, them, this, uh, this is how your Gamecock team, they're going to come in. They're going to give their best effort, and we're going to see what happens because this Georgia team, they understand their most important game is the current game, and they're going to look past nobody. Yeah, Zeb Nolan's a great story. Don't know if you want to put the game <laughs> on him. Uh, if he's coming down crunch time, hopefully – if you're a South Carolina fan, uh, the running game is up to par on Saturday evening. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. we got a lot of football to talk about coming up uh, in hour number two. We'll get preview the SEC uh, schedule this weekend. Falcons and Jags back week two of the NFL. Tim Frisbee will join us. Former South Carolina Gamecock in the final hour. One of the oldest guys to play college football back in 2004 at the age 39. Played for South Carolina. South Carolina. We'll talk to him about that coming up in hour number three as well. But uh, BJ and Ben, baseball late tonight if you're a Braves fan. The lead down to three in the East. Braves playing the, the, the San Francisco Giants with the best record. However, important weekend Phillies and Mets are playing each other this weekend so one of the teams behind you will lose every single night this weekend important series I think the pressure's on though out west uh, you didn't have the finale in the series but you lost the first two against a terrible terrible road team you need to I think you need to win this series and I understand that's a tall task against a team with one of the is it best or second best record in baseball but Got to find a way to bounce back. The pressure's on. You still have a three-game lead, but you need to have some success this weekend. 
Don't get don't don't get the uh, don't get the uh, box score watching and watching who's gonna win, who's gonna lose. Those Giants gonna make it hard for anybody, Kevin. But hey, man, Braves control what you can control and do your best with those Giants who obviously you know playing some incredible baseball. But yes, Mets and the Phillies, one of those will win and hope and hope it is the Phillies <laughs> to kind of kind of stretch that lead out a little bit. Well, again, no, you want the Mets to beat the Phillies uh, here early. You hope you win, uh, so you open it up at least to start with. But yeah, I, I I I'm hoping the Braves play well. They played well against San Francisco when it was in Atlanta, so. Maybe it's just a good matchup for Atlanta, and we'll see what they can do late out on the, the West Coast. We'll uh, talk more about that later in the show. But we got a full hour two around the corner. Take three coming up. Also look at the big weekend in the SEC, some big conference matchups, just some big games involving conference teams as well. So we'll get to that. And Falcons and Jags just got to do better to steal a line from, uh, from Arthur Smith. Just got to do better. Here in week two, it's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, streaming live ESPNCoastal.com and Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Great to be here with you on this Friday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, we're looking at the SEC coming up here in just a little bit. We'll preview the weekend upcoming uh, here. Falcons and Jags back at trying to give it the old professional try here in week number two. Uh, we'll see if either one of them can come out on top with a win. And again, we'll get to our picks coming up in the final hour of the show. But it is 4 o'clock. We shall take three here on 3 and Out. All right, fellas. Take one. Which schools fall in the category of Mr. Steal Your Coach? I.e., they can walk into pretty much anywhere and they can take your head coach. I don't think the list is as long as some others might. I think it's a, I, I think it's a pretty select group. And, and when I read this, can walk into almost any school in America, I'm thinking they can go into any school but maybe three or four, and the coach immediately leaves. And uh, I, I, I do think there are maybe a couple of tiers here, but tier one for me is Alabama, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. And you may go, oh, what about what about Texas or what about LSU or what about you know certain uh, Florida State? Even we've seen with a recent couple of coaching searches. I think we've seen Tennessee through some of those searches that, at least based on reports, those schools didn't always necessarily get at least the names that were initially reported. And it's hard to go, but but you know behind the scenes and know for a fact who got offered what. But I do think that Alabama can get any coach they want. I think Ohio State is right there as well, and I still think Notre Dame has that has that brand equity for the most part. Um, if you get into a tier two, I think that would be like Florida, Texas, and LSU. I think would be in that tier two. But I don't I don't necessarily think, for example, that that, that let's say Florida has a bad year and fires Dan Mullen. That, that, that they're able to call and get a Ryan Day or they're able to call and get a Dabo Sweeney or they're able to call and get a coach like that. So for me, tier one would be Alabama, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. <sighs> Alabama Alabama, and uh, Notre Dame most definitely. I think that Alabama is – it's built up such a such an incredible program to where they feel as though look we got the money we, the booze are gonna make sure we got everything a coach needs and we and they're not gonna have four and five guys unless they're gonna have one guy they're gonna go out there and get them. I do think Notre Dame whether you like them or not they have that they have the they are the evil empire Kevin and BJ of college football but there is not a bigger brand. And nobody moved. No, nobody moved to the beat of their own drum more than Notre Dame, where everybody else got to be in conferences. They do not. Oh, that's right. Well, they, well, they, they move the beats to any drums unless you are Purdue, and then they do not move to the beat of any drum. Definitely, when it's the biggest drum uh, in college football. But 
I mean, I think in the world, or or in the, or, I'm sorry, in the in the in the world. So yeah, for me, BJ and Kevin, I do believe it is, uh, you know, Notre Dame and Alabama. One because of the brand, the other one because it's the gold standard of college football. I think that, I think that the, you know the the Texas of the world, the Oklahomas of the world, the Floridas and Georgias of the world, they're not far off. Because they can pay, you know, uh, for whomever. They can go out there and get – because they can pay for them. So, I think that, yes, Alabama, Notre Dame, you know, won. But, you know, the Floridas, the Georgias, the Texases, the Oklahomas, I think they're not they're not far off for being able to say, hey, Mr. Steele, your coach, come holler at me. You need those schools to get who they want. Even if you don't like who they get, Christian Gokel. I know Christian was like, oh, Notre Dame's Mr. Steele, your coach, and they got Brian Kelly? Well, that's Mr. who they Steele, wanted. coach. Hey. That's who they wanted. He's done well. Tennessee, Tennessee thought that was that, and then they then they went down and got about 15 guys, and then Coach Pruitt said, all right, man, if you want me that bad, I'll be through. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, didn't they didn't they at least think they had a coach and the fan base revolted or something? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. no, we don't. Yeah, yeah, four, No, four, we don't have a Dan Mullen signs as a new head coach Greg of Florida. Chiano. Breaking news, Greg Chiano is no, the new head not. coach. And then it was like this, absolutely. And, and, and after that, the president, the AD, Head coach, I mean, the president AD was gone. Philip Former came in and was like, dude, like, what's going on in Tennessee? Been a long time since this guy's been been, uh, been uh, competitive. But, yeah, Greg Giano set the Tennessee Vols uh, program back light years. It was it was rough. All right, moving along. Take two. Who needs to have a bigger game for their team, Tank Bigsby or Kevin Harris? Course, I think Tank it's Kevin Bigsby, Harris Auburn, for South. Got, they got Penn State, Kevin Harris in South Carolina playing Georgia. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Kevin Harris because I think with Auburn you feel pretty comfortable. Although Bo Nix has had some good games and bad games throughout his career, that if the running game doesn't get going, you can still move the football, throwing the football through the air with Bo Nix and Demetrius Robertson's been really good uh, for Auburn so far this year. I think with South Carolina, if you're going to get offensive production, it's going to have to come on the ground. And granted, you're going up against Georgia's defense, which good luck with that. But you know, Zeb. Nolan is not is not very experienced. Is not very familiar uh, with the guys he's he's throwing with in terms of playing with them. So I think that's still a work in progress. And you look last year. We all know Kevin Harris led the SEC in rushing last year. But when he's gotten a lot of touches, South Carolina scored a lot of points. He had 22 carries against Florida. He scored 24. He had 21 carries against Vanderbilt. He scored 41. He had 25 carries against Auburn. He scored 30. He had 25 carries against Ole Miss. You scored 42. And in the games where Kevin got 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 carries, you were in the teams. So I think Kevin Harris is still the key for South Carolina. And I think his his involvement is going to be really important. Yes, I mean you're gonna find a way. You're gonna try to find a way to speed the game up. You're trying to be able to, uh, you know, move the chains against uh, move the chains against a Georgia defense that's gonna be very, very stingy. But Kevin Harris is still gonna have to have a better game. I mean, the better game of Tank Bigsby because Tank Bigsby has a sidekick by the name of Jarquez Hunter, and he is true freshman, really, really good. So if Tank Bigsby don't have a good game, give it to us, a little sidekick. But for 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 the uh, for these two uh, players, I'm gonna go with Kevin Harris. He just seems to make the team, uh, you know, uh, make the team go. He seems to keep. He's going to have a guy like Zeb Nolan not having to feel as though he got to uh, win the game through the air, which is going to be a daunting task. It's, so for me, I mean, Tank Bigsby's good, but I'm going to go with Mr. Kevin Harris, a guy that's, you know, you know, uh, you know uh, chopping at the bit to be able to go out there and, you know, prove he can put the team on his back. 
All right, move it. Basically, as Christian said, just give the ball to Kevin and everything will be fine. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> Take three. Tulane is wearing a throwback helmet. I don't know if you guys have seen it, if everybody else has. Basically, a helmet with their old logo from way back in the day. Uh, and they added a sticker to it. They're playing Old Miss this week. And on, on the sticker, it says SEC champs 34, 39, and 49. And you're like, because people don't think about that. Like, like Tulane was in the SEC. But that gives them more SEC titles, even though they haven't been in the SEC in 50 years, than Arkansas, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Missouri, who between them have a total of one. Tulane still rocking three. How big of a flex is that going into an SEC game and you, you, you drop the, we have more SEC titles than you do, and we're not even in the SEC. I think it's really cool. And the helmet looks great, right? It's a throwback helmet, and you have the, uh, like you said, you're just making a statement right away. Boom, three SEC championships. Yeah, it was in 1934 and 1939 and, 19, well, 1949, come on. But look, celebrate the history, the tradition. Uh, what, it, doesn't Georgia Tech have four or five SEC championships as well? So maybe they could do that when they play Georgia. But no, I'm, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think Tulane uh, is a team you need to be aware of, by the way. I know a lot of people are talking about their helmets and their uniform uh, this week, but this is a team that can beat Ole Miss. You go back to week one against Oklahoma, Tulane was essentially their quarterback stumbling away from being in Oklahoma territory, I think around the 35 or 40 yard line with a first down, down five with less than a minute to play. They had a fourth down and 10, uh, again, down five at Oklahoma and the quarterback scrambled and he kind of stumbled right before the first down they reviewed it he didn't get it but Tulane is good Willie Fritz has done a really nice job with that program and this is a game you better be ready for if you're old Miss maybe a bit of a look ahead to some of the SEC games that are on the horizon but yes very cool I like it the helmet looks good I'm a fan of the angry wave too right the uh you know the uh the, the, the wave helmet. Tulane's got some really cool uniforms, but yes, very neat, and you got to appreciate and respect the history. Yeah, put some, listen, put some respect on Tulane's name. Tulane <laughs> is saying, I, listen, y'all SEC guys are so cute. I know y'all sitting there talking about Texas and Oklahoma about to get added, but I mean, A&M, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Missouri. You're welcome. I mean, all of y'all together ain't done what we done. And you're going to look when y'all did it. But we have done it. We did it. Listen, we did it way back in the 30s and the 40s. You can't even you can't even do it now. And wow. and and the uniforms are nice. So, I mean, yes, the ultimate flex slap. Listen, anybody want to want to talk trash about Tulane and talk about we don't got tradition, you better act like you know. Put the tradition on the back of the helmet. Act like you know. And let's, and let's, and let's, let's make it do what it does. I will say it's an interesting flex, too, against Ole Miss, who I think Ole Miss has more they have than six. Tulane. They have six. But... This is kind of interesting. Tulane's was in 1949. I want to say Ole Miss's last SEC championship was in the 60s. So Tulane hadn't been in the league Powers. in a long, long time. And it's been almost as long since Ole Miss won one as since Tulane won one at the end of the day. SEC powers Tulane. Yeah. So a couple of trivia questions real quick. Okay. Which one of those teams that we mentioned there was the team that had won the SEC championship? Wow. I'm going to go with BJ? Uh, Missouri. It's, 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 it's Missouri Missi- has not won an SEC championship. No, it's, oh, they it's, 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 it's Mississippi State, isn't it? Kevin. 
Yeah, on they, top they of won it, yeah. one. That's right, one right. of those things that, like, if you're Mississippi State, you can hold it over because, like, everybody in the East, obviously not Kentucky or Vanderbilt, has been to the SEC championship game. And then the West, I think up until they added Texas A&M, everybody had been to the SEC championship game except Ole Miss. That might, and, that might and, be true, but let me ask you this. Okay. Two teams in the current SEC haven't played in an SEC championship game. Two teams in the current SEC haven't even played in the game, Texas A&M and uh, Ole Miss. Texas A&M has not played in an SEC championship game. Two teams haven't yeah, that- even played in a game, made an appearance in a game. Since the since the conference championship, no, no. appearance. Vanderbilt. Ole Miss, Ole Miss is not Ole Miss is not played in the SEC title game. Neither is A and M. Yeah, I believe I had that correct right off the jump. Vanderbilt also has there not, and go. Kentucky That's has what not. We're looking for. Vanderbilt. Are you talking about Ole Miss? I mean, Ole Miss has not played, and neither is A and M. Hold yeah. on, and and neither has Kentucky. That's I four. Been lied to. <laughs> this is a horrible trivia question. I might have been lied to. Was that <laughs> who did you say has it? Kentucky, Vandy. Kentucky, Vanderbilt. Texas A&M and Ole Miss, all four of them haven't played in the SEC championship. There we go. That's what I said. Well, that's, a, that's a long cry from two. That's what I said. <laughs> all right. Do we have time for the bonus question? Yeah, of course. Bonusing. Uh, speaking of, I mean, what a great bonus question this is. Because especially coming off that trivia question. Listen. Which game has the higher GPA? Northwestern at Duke or Stanford Vanderbilt, like including, hey, which two teams, I mean four, haven't actually been to the SEC championship. Higher GPA game, Northwestern Duke or Stanford Vandy this week? All right. The only way I knew to do this is during the show meeting, because, I mean, look, these are all elite academic institutions, is I went and I looked up the uh, academic, the the school rankings and you had Duke in the rankings that I was looking at I think US News they were tied at number nine so nine plus nine I think is 18 okay then you had the Stanford Vanderbilt game Stanford was number six and Vanderbilt was number 14 so combined they are number 20 so it's close it's close but the low score wins I'm gonna go with Northwestern Duke with the higher GPA I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Stanford and Vanderbilt. I mean, you talking about them Silicon Valley men out there in Stanford, and you talking about wait, what else they gonna do with Vandy? I mean, they ain't doing nothing else. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, I mean, BJ, I understand that you got to go look up. You know, Cody would have Cody would have probably went to the Better Business Bureau to <laughs> yeah, see right. who who was gonna be the top, you know, top four. I know that you got two tied for number nine, but I mean, Stanford. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, Paulo Alto, Silicon Valley, them boys got to be smart out there. And Vandy, I mean, whoa. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, I, did, 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 did Skip Bayless go to Vanderbilt? I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, Kevin. I know. I think I know who Kevin's gonna go with. But for me, you know, and I and I know, and, and we're we talking options. about we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about the athletes <laughs> who definitely break it down. But yeah, I know the BJ cheated me. I'm gonna go with Stanford and then boys from Kevin. Nashville. Before you answer, can I say where I got confused? Go ahead, I'm go sure ahead, Christian. Why, might as well. Two teams have never even won a division title. I got gotcha. you. And that is Texas A&M and Vanderbilt. Talk about it. Christians, I will get down to this. Listen, my bad. Yeah, that's fine. No, I'm sorry. See how I admitted I was wrong? You see how I did that? It's a character. You see how you're allowed to do that? It's a character. Well, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know that you necessarily admitted you were wrong. As no, much I said as I was Kevin, wrong. I said my bad. Was as much as, before. Yeah, yeah, but as much as Kevin just proves you wrong by providing the right answer, like <laughs> that's that's fine. But I'm, I'm I'm willing to sit here and say I'm wrong, Kevin. Can you think of an example of when maybe you should have done that? Not really. Okay. All right. <laughs> we 
we've got more. It is, uh, it is Stanford Vandy, by the way. I don't care what U.S. News has to say on the subject matter. A bunch of journalists from Northwestern's coming down here. Well, actually, I told BJ, I was like, so you got the rankings from the U.S. News. Of course they're going to have And he was like, yeah, but they're like, no, that's somebody's opinion ranking colleges. Why can't I have a separate opinion? I'm going with Stanford and Vanderbilt. So you're saying you did your own research? I did. Okay. I know I couldn't cut the mustard at any of those schools, so it's fine. I think they require book reading. So. Hey, I almost went to Georgia Tech. <laughs> <laughs> We got more to go. Three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here. Three and out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop. Glad you are with us. We look at the SEC here uh, this weekend. Some big games out there on the docket in conference with George or Alabama and Florida. Certainly Georgia, South Carolina going to be an interesting one in conference uh, there as well. But Arkansas host welcoming in Georgia Southern. Auburn at Penn State, a top 25 matchup. Really interesting one there. But, guys, let's start with Alabama and Florida. Because, again, I think when you talk about a conversation about Alabama, it is we talk talent threshold. Can Florida pull this upset off? Because if they do, that changes everything in college football, right? I mean, because the talking point with folks who look at college football say, well, Alabama is pretty much better than everybody in the conference, hands down, except, you know, they're going to have a game with Georgia when they get there and maybe Texas A&M. And people have just markered them in to the, the playoffs. What do you expect to see Saturday night there in the swamp? Well, I, I disagree a little bit. I understand the, uh, you know, the, the response will be that everything has changed. But I kind of think like in 2015, if Alabama loses this game, it basically guarantees they win the national title because Alabama's not going to lose two games in a span of four weeks or, you know, two games in a span of two months. That doesn't happen. When Alabama loses, it's once every 15 to 20 games, and then they win 14, 15 in a row after each loss. Um in, in, in 2015, that's what happened. But I do think Florida can play with Alabama. Uh, I think I think Florida has a better defense than advertised. Now, I mean, then we talked about the injury to Ventrell Miller. I don't know kind of what you do schematically to offset that. That's a big loss. But I really like the secondary. I really like the linebackers. Zachary Carter had three sacks last week. And here's a, here's a key point to consider. Florida is one of the few teams, I think, in the country that can get pressure on Bryce Young without blitzing because they're really good and really dynamic at the point of attack. And I think Carter is the catalyst. And the reason that's important is because Pro Football Focus did advanced statistical research and showed that Bryce Young is the third most proficient quarterback in all of college football when blitzed. So I think what you take from that is you've got to keep extra defenders back. If you blitz Bryce Young and you're bringing, you know, a safety or a couple of linebackers, he's going to find the open space and he's going to dismantle you. And it's going to be big play after big play. I think Florida is one of the few teams that can get pressure while keeping guys back. And keep in mind, to match up with Devonta Smith or Jamison Williams, you have a true number one corner in, in, in Kyrie Elam. Very few teams have a true number one corner, a guy that's going to be a top 20 pick. So offensively, I know we're all waiting to see what happens with Anthony Richardson, but defensively, you're not going to stop Alabama, but I think at least theoretically Florida has the type of defense that can slow them down. 
This game is going to come down simply to who's bought in and who's going to play their role. When you talk about big-time games with a team no great, no better than uh, – it doesn't get much better than Alabama. I mean, people start saying when, – when I, when, I when I hear phrases like they're going to have to play the game of their life, you're not, you're not going to do that on Saturday. When I hear they're going to have to play lights out, you got a shot to do it on Saturday. What got you here? What has worked before this game? I'm not saying that I'm not saying that the opponent you went up against before these two games is even in the same stratosphere as Alabama. But Kyrie Elam, you a lockdown corner, prove it. I mean, when you talk about Dan Mullen being a great play caller, having two quarterbacks at your disposal, prove it. Because that's what Alabama says. Alabama says, dude, we never said we couldn't be beat. We said you got to prove it. And that's what this week is. And once again, I go back to this and I compare the two. I go back to what I said about Georgia Tech and Clemson. Nobody expect Georgia Tech to beat Clemson. But how you look in, in playing them, that stuff matters. So if you are, if you are Florida when everything is at home, Dan Mullen, you know, Mr. 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 Extension in the offseason, you know, they're going to have to go out there and earn it. So, I mean, game plans ain't going to beat Alabama. Schemes don't beat Alabama. One-on-one matchups beat them. Because B.J., Christian, you know, Kevin, every time Alabama loses, something freaky happens. Every time. Either you got to have a Heisman <laughs> Trophy-type uh, quarterback. Either guys got to have, you know, uh, what was it, Iron Bowl a couple of years ago. A, a freaking, the ball just sat on the freaking defender's back. And somebody came and took it off for a pick six. And you got, listen, you got to win those 50-50 plays. I mean, you got to make, you got to win some one-on-one matchups. And I never had to, I never got a chance to play Alabama when I was in college. They weren't the team, you know, uh, back then they are now. But this is the barometer. And I just think that if you're in Florida, look, utilize that crowd. Do like that crowd noise. Try to stay ahead of the chains and try to make it a four-quarter four quarter game because Kevin and BJ, as you guys both know, this is either going to be really, really good for Florida or really, really bad. It won't be no in-between. How different is this team from the team that just played them in the SEC championship game not necessarily all that long ago? Because I think people look at it from one perspective and say, well, this is a team that was within a score in the SEC championship game. How different is this team that's about to take the field Saturday from the one that Kyle Trask led out there in the SEC championship game? I think both are a lot different. You know, I, Alabama lost seven of the top 39 picks in the NFL draft. And I think Alabama has clearly earned the right uh, to just chalk it up. You're going to rebuild and be just as good. But when you do look at Alabama, you know, last year you had a just unquestioned number one corner with Patrick Sertan. I don't know that you have that this year. You looked at the offensive line last year and wow. I mean, it was just absolutely elite. Alex Leatherwood, Landon Dickerson, uh, uh, uh you're talking about Deontay Brown. I mean, just a very, very good offensive line. And now I think there are some relative questions. I really emphasize that word, relative questions, outside of Evan Neal, where there's some inexperience that maybe Florida's defensive line can maneuver against. But, yeah, Florida totally different. And and that's why I think Anthony Richardson is such an X factor because you knew where you were going to get your big plays from last year, right, guys? It's Kyle Pitts is going to throw it to Kadarius Toney. Or, or Kyle Trask, excuse me, is going to throw it to Kadarius Tony or Kyle Pitts, and you're going to have those big plays. This team's different. Florida leads the nation in rushing right now. Florida's at over 600 yards per game. But I kind of, I mean, Ben, I don't know that people fully appreciate what Anthony Richardson has done. Just to look back to last Saturday, okay, and think about these numbers. He went three for three, and, and on those three passes, he threw for 152 yards and two touchdowns. So he went three for three for a buck 52 and two touchdowns. He ran the ball four times. Those four runs resulted in 115 yards and a score. He's a highlight. He's a big play. And I think he's got to have some of those, Kevin, to your point, much like Kyle Trask did a year ago. 
the run game and the being able to have, to have a run game to lean on is something that makes it totally different. Uh, that really not just from last year, Kevin, and how they played in the SEC championship game is Alabama. Since Dan Mullen has been the head coach of Florida, he has had no run game to even think of. So I think that being able to have a run game is kind of going to keep that uh, Alabama defense off, Alabama defense uh, honest, and being able to have a guy that you can bring in in Anthony Richardson is going to be very, very important. Dan Mullen understands what's at stake. Zachary Carter, Mr. Unfinished Business, he's going to have to go out there and prove it. But yes, what's different about this team is they believe that they can play on the same field as Alabama. Not many teams are going to think that. They're going to say it in press conferences. You know, they're going to they're say all the right things to the media, but they know that, listen, we can stay on the same field because they just played a team last year that has the all-time leading rusher, the all-time leading receiver. I think, the, I think a guy that went undefeated, one of the best QBRs, and the freaking Heisman Trophy winner. All those guys are gone. Everybody, you know, but it's Alabama. You got to go out there and prove that you can that you can stay with them in the one quarter. You know, uh, to the from the first quarter to the fourth, you got a shot. Quickly, want to look also uh, Auburn and Penn State. I know Auburn's been getting a lot of kudos. Brian Harson, what a, what a job they've done uh, in the first two weeks, albeit against way lesser uh, competition. Now they go to Happy Valley Saturday night. Whiteout Zombie Nation going to be playing. What are you? expecting from Auburn when the talent level comes comes significantly up from what they've seen in the first two weeks? Great question. And I know we've talked a lot about Bo uh, Nix and, and, and Tank uh, Bigsby, but I think when you look at the offense, you need to look at the offensive line. Because when we chatted with, with Jake Crane a couple of times during the preseason, what we constantly heard was the question for Auburn is the offensive line. And Penn State is really good defensively really good along the defensive line. And if if Nix is going to have the big throws downfield, if Bigsby's going to be able to get to that second level where he's so good, the offensive line has got to set the tone. So I know Christian has said before he watches games at the line of scrimmage. I think when Auburn has the ball, this will be a good game to keep an eye on the trenches and see how they handle that Penn State front. It's going to come down to mentality for Auburn because they do have they do have a two-headed monster at the you know at the running back position and then Bo Nix is playing more and more efficient with the football. I know the first two games of the season it's not going to be the competition, uh, Kevin, but it comes out. I'm building my confidence. I'm learning how to buy in to what Coach Hartson is saying and bigger than bigger than bigger than uh, bigger than the offense. Coach Derek Mason right now, I mean, he could prove to be the biggest, the biggest offseason pickup, not named Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone. So I, I just I just think this Auburn team is 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 built for this because every time we think the Auburn's gonna be bad, they're good. But just like North Carolina, when we coming into the season, hey man, this Auburn team is gonna be good. They kind of play down the competition. People start talking about a hostile environment. I listen, I know that Zombie Nation is gonna be hostile. Is that LSU at night? Is that Alabama? Is that the 12th man? I'm pretty sure that Bo Nix and, and Bo Nix is playing in the swamp. I'm pretty sure Bo Nix has seen some pretty hostile environments, and that's taking nothing away from Zombie Nation and Happy Valley. Again, I, I think that's going to be one of the best games to watch all weekend long, that Auburn and Penn State. One I've been looking for way, since way back in the offseason. There's a quick look at the SEC, some of the big games coming up this weekend. We'll talk more Georgia-South Carolina, of course, going throughout the show. But we're looking at the NFL when we come back. Falcons and Jags just got to do better. Just got to do better. Can they actually, though, do better in week two? We'll get to that next here on 3 and Out. Good to have you here on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop, NFL Week 2. Upcoming for the Falcons and the Jags, Arthur Smith said, we just got to do better because I don't think you could do much worse, quite frankly, uh, than, than how things went for the Falcons in Week 1. Well, maybe you can. You got the defending champs uh, coming up in Tampa Bay, but – Week two, I mean, 
What do you expect here? I mean, the Falcons went out and signed some free agent linemen, not expected to start uh, or play this week as they get kind of up to speed. So offensive line play only through, I guess, grit and determination will it be much better. But what on earth do you expect week two from Arthur Smith, who's like, hey, we just got to get better. I do like his quotes. I mean, again, we all love a good coach quote saying, look, we're all getting paid here. Don't show me any sympathy. This is, you know, this is big boy stuff, but we got to get better. Kyle Pitts early, draw defensive attention to him in the middle of the field, open up some perimeter opportunities for Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage. I mean, Kev, you're right about the offensive line. I mean, you can you can expect some modest improvement, I think, for guys like Jalen Mayfield uh, with just with experience. I mean, you've now gone out and done it for the first time, but you were really, really bad last week offensively. You had 260 total yards, and what's really bad is that was on 64 plays. You average four yards per play. Just for point of reference, Philadelphia averaged six and a half, so dramatically better production. You didn't score in the second half. You didn't score a touchdown, period. Um, You know, the offensive line kind of is what it is. You know what Matt Ryan can do. I would make it a point to get the football to Kyle Pitts early, not only because of what he can do, Ben, but the pressure that puts on an opposing defense to make adjustments and potentially create more favorable opportunities for your other wide receivers in space. The one thing I want to see in week two is be aggressive. No season was won and lost in the first month of the season. Everybody trying to figure out what does and doesn't work. The thing about Arthur Smith is, while I can appreciate, uh, you know, uh, how candid he was in these in these press conferences, you have a lot to do with the offense. You're still trying to really install the offense. This is what happened, in the, you know, at uh, – and Kevin Thomas' rules of, you know, uh, of engagement when you talk about the preseason, that's why you should play in it. No one said you had to go out there for two quarters, but you got to play in it. There was no creativity for the Atlanta Falcons offense. They looked the worst on offense in week one. It's not like they weren't in the red zone. There's just no creativity. We thought that Julio Jones was the problem. Nope, Julio Jones is in Tennessee catching a whopping three catches for 29 yards, balling out of control because he got Ryan Tannehill. That's another, that's another uh, topic for another day. But just be aggressive. JPP and Shaq Barrett, those guys, they're going to be coming at you. You understand Levante David uh, and Devin White, you know, you know two heat-seeking missiles at linebacker. So you're going to have a lot to deal with. But be aggressive. If you draft the number, if you draft the, uh, Kyle Pitts to be the, uh, the the top tight end, I mean the highest draft tight end in NFL history, throw the ball to him. What if they pick it off? Be aggressive. So, what if he doesn't get open? So, and and if Cordell Patterson is your leading rusher, wearing number eighty four, and Mike Davis heard all these great things about him in the preseason, that's a problem too. Hand the ball off to Mike Davis, and if Cordell Patterson can can help you out in the run game, how about you put him in the slot, throw him some passes because you sure ain't throwing to the Kyle Pitts. Show some aggressive, show some creativity, and let's just see what happens. Look, I. Look, I, I want to believe that Arthur Smith has got to say go in the right direction. At, uh, well, I'm saying, but, but week one, it didn't look good. Week two is probably not going to look good. Where is it going to come from uh, with this Atlanta team, I think, is the, uh, the big question for me. And, and, again, I know we got to do better sounds good after the first week. If we say we got to do better after week two, uh, I think people are going to say, well, that's, that's what you're here for is to make sure we do better. Uh, so, I, you know, I, BJ, man, I, I look at this Falcons team, and I think there's still a lot of questions. And maybe it's a week one overreaction that they were that bad, but it just appears that they have a lot of things to fix that one week's not going to take care of. It, I mean, you know, just as I see it. 
And when you talk about the matchup with Tampa, this may sound absolutely wild, but the matchup that I'm that I'm most worried about really isn't Tom Brady against Atlanta's defense. It's the offensive line that Atlanta has going up against Barrett, JPP, Sue, Vea. Um, that's a really tough situation. I mean, how are you going to protect Matt Ryan? Last week you gave up three sacks and six tackles for loss. Now that's a really good Philadelphia defensive line, but this one might be even better, especially when you think about Barrett and and his speed rushing off the edge. Uh, That's where I'm concerned. I mean, Tom Brady's going to do what Tom Brady's going to do. Kind of doesn't matter how good you are in the secondary. Uh, The GOAT's going to do what he does. But the offensive line, Ben, I just don't know. I mean, is there something you can do? I know you have the tight end who, quote, only blocks – but is there something you can do to try to to try to like Kevin said, get some more protection up front? You might have to sacrifice the tight. You might have to sacrifice the tight end uh, to stay in and block if if, it, if it's going to mean uh, getting uh, Matty Ice uh, getting the ball out, getting the ball out to your uh, to your playmakers. And look, we need to stop talking about Tampa Bay like Tampa Bay can't be beat. Tampa Bay is the defending Super Bowl champs. Tampa Bay can no, be beat. No, but no, I think people think Tampa Bay can be beat, but not with the effort they saw in week one from but, Atlanta. But, but, the thing, but the thing is, too, you're only as good as the scheme you're in. I understand that the Falcons did not look good week one, but the thing is, it's the scheme. Get the ball out to your, to your playmakers. Go to the quick pass game. The greatest thing about having uh, Matty Ice, a uh, regular season MVP, you know, played in the Super Bowl. He's he's been in a lot of offenses. He's seen a lot of defenses. He understands what works. If we got to go, if we got to go from short to intermediate to deep, that's fine. Quick game, short game, intermediate game, deep game. Because the thing is, if the running game isn't there, you're gonna be one dimensional, which means guys are gonna back up and then they're gonna be playing right there at the sticks. They're gonna let you catch the ball, come up and make plays, get off the field, and now and now, and now you turn the ball back over to that Tampa Bay offense, which doesn't bowl well uh, for for an Atlanta defense. BJ, that you're still trying to find a pass rusher. Deion Jones was nowhere to be found. You got a very very young secondary. Arthur Smith, love your passion. Love the fact that you're saying we ain't making no excuses. But you got to make a lot of strides from week one to week two with a Tampa Bay team that understand that the, that the target is on their back and they coming, they coming to prove that, one, first team to ever host a Super Bowl and win it, first team to ever bring back all 22 starters. And Tom Brady, he's seen it all, done it all. If you expect your defense to help you win on Sunday, it's going to be a long day. More disappointing, the fact that the Falcons' offense was so bad in week one or the fact they still couldn't get to the, the, the quarterback in week one. I think it's the offense because the defense, you haven't invested the same capital there. Offensively, you just made Kyle Pitts the highest drafted uh, tight end ever. Calvin Ridley's been a multi 1,000 yard season receiver. You've invested what? Two first round picks in Caleb McGarry and Chris Lindstrom along the offensive line, and you've given Matt Ryan $200 million. You have not invested that capital defensively. The offensive, the lack of offensive production is very troubling. I'm still gonna I'm still gonna say the defense because the defense got to make the most improvement because they're the, they're the biggest unproven group and that goes back from years and years and years. Dante Fowler Jr. got to win one on ones. Grady Jarrett is still getting double team inside and you're gonna have you're gonna have to uh you're gonna have to play uh you're gonna have to play uh with that front four because that you're gonna have to drop seven to even be to even be in games. The thing about last week they was blitzing. And they were doing it against a mobile quarterback and, and wasn't able to get there. Yeah, Jalen Hurts is very, very, very uh, athletic in the pocket. But I'm, it's still going to be the defense because, once again, it's like you say, Kevin, you just can't be the worst defense. And guess what? 
They're playing like the worst. You got to be in the middle of the pack. 15 to 20, you good enough to stay in games because that means you're not the top pass rusher team, but you're not the worst. But when you in, you start to where y'all rank, 26, 27, 28, you bottom feeders, which means it's going to take a long time to even get that, you know, continuity. The, the, the front four on the defensive line is just like the, it's just like the five offensive linemen. You got, to, you got to understand each other's strengths and weaknesses. Grady Jarrett proven. Dante Fowler Jr. played next to Aaron Donald. I haven't heard from him since. You got to find a way to get there because Shaq Bear and JPP, you want to see a clinic? These dudes are perennial all pros, but they play together and they collapse that pocket. And if you think you're going to get outside of it, they're going to force Matt Ryan to step up in the pocket, make throws. Oh, and they go with Dominic Sue. They go Vita Vea. <laughs> that is football, people. What's your front for? Ben is painting a very bleak picture. I'm just telling you. The goal of the two defensive ends is to force the, is to force the quarterback up into the pocket for what you got the meat of your of your defensive line is. Well, that's what Grady Jarrett is. But guess what? Grady Jarrett is double team. That means one guy is going up against one guy on the outside. You have to win. And you have to win consistently. Fair or unfair, that's why you are considered one of the best in the world. You are a top 32 defensive end, not because of how you play, but because you're in the league. Man, go out there and make yep. your money on Sunday. Not going to be easy, certainly, against Tom Brady and the Bucks, defending Super Bowl champs. We will see how they do. We'll come back. We've got more to get to. We'll get to our game picks in the final hour. Tim Frisbee going to join us in the final hour of the program as well. This is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you here 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben did not get a chance to talk about BJ's Jacksonville Jaguars. And there's been more, uh, more talk about Urban going to uh, Southern Cal than Jags Broncos this week. Uh, BJ, what do you expect in week two from Jacksonville? Here, Jacksonville and Atlanta and the disappointments from week one. To me, Atlanta's struggle more of a concern and more frustrating because this is a team with veterans. This is a team with an MVP quarterback. This is a team with, you know, one of the best receivers in the league. This is a team that has guys on the on, on the defense who have been around, like Grady Jarrett and, and Deion Jones. I mean, you look at Jacksonville, we've talked about this a lot, but the whole roster is really, really young. I mean, the I, I don't even know if you say the best players because you're still trying to identify that, but you're high-profile players. you got a rookie quarterback, you got a second-year running back, DJ Shark, LaVisca Chenault, uh, uh, they're all in their first couple of years. You look defensively, you think about Caleb Von Chasen and Josh Allen and C.J. Henderson. These are young players in their first couple of years. Jawan Taylor, Cam Robinson, the vast majority of your team is under 25. And then you compile that with the fact that you have a coach who's never been at this level before. There's going to be a learning experience every single week. So I expect them to get better, to learn and improve on some of the things they struggled at in week one. But I will say this, and Ben, you brought this up, and I think it's a great point. If I'm if I'm James Robinson, I'm looking around going, what do I have to do? I mean, I understand the Travis Etienne draft pick. You brought him in to do a, a different job than James Robinson. Pass catching, third down back. And look, I like Carlos Hyde, but and I like Trevor Lawrence, but Trevor Lawrence had 51 pass attempts. Carlos Hyde had nine rushes. James Robinson had five. James Robinson was a 1,000-yard rusher last year. Why does he have five carries? Why is your quarterback throwing it 50 times in the first game ever? Uh, look, get James Robinson the ball. He's probably your best player. I think you've got to make him, Kevin, in, in terms of specific changes, you've got to make him more of a focal point. 
I expect to see balance this week. I really, really do. I do think, BJ, when you think about James Robinson, him not getting the touches, that has less to do with him and more of these coaches trying to validate these number one overall picks just like Dak. Hadn't seen him in a year. He threw the ball 78 times week one against Tampa Bay. No, sometimes it's just, the game just goes that way because it's all about it's a primetime game, first game. Let's show the world what they can look forward to in the guy in Trevor Lawrence. But I, 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 would be, I would still be very, very enthusiastic if I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars team that shouldn't be afraid of Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater led uh, Denver Broncos. Now you're gonna have to deal with, you know, Brady, you know, uh, you know, Bradley Chubb and that defensive line. But I think, look, Lavisca Chanel, DJ Chark, and those guys—they look really, really good. Week one, and it's week one. Guess what? In week two, it'll be fine. Like I said. Seasons aren't won and lost. Before you can learn the game of football, learn the guys around you. Learn, learn what their strengths and weaknesses. And once I know what they do well, it's going to help me play better. But Trevor Lawrence, listen, good luck because that's a retooled offensive line. But the more he, the more he's, uh, the more he's in the pocket trying to throw the football, the, the more susceptible he is to getting hit and hurt. And I said hit first because that's what's going to happen first, BJ. But I do, I do think the Jaguars got a chance to bounce back this season. Nobody's afraid of Denver. Denver's not going to win that division. The Raiders won Week One, and so is Kansas City, and the, and the Denver is going to beat neither one of those teams. Yeah, going to be interesting to see what, uh, what happens here with, with Jacksonville as they move forward. I think you got to go, as Ben said, more of the run game. I, I don't really understand. Uh, you spend a lot of time in the offseason talking about James Robinson, 1,000-yard rusher, 1,000-yard rusher. And then you wanted to throw it with Trevor Lawrence. I, I think it seems to be proven time and time again, run the ball and take some of that pressure off your quarterback, even if he is a highly thought-of talent like Trevor Lawrence uh, at the end of the day. We've got so much more to get to here on 3 and Out. Tim Frisbee going to join us at the top of next hour. Really excited about talking with him. Uh, played at South Carolina at the age of 39. So we'll hear from him coming up top of hour number two, three. We'll get our picks and more. It's 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Welcome back. Final hour of 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, and Ben Troop. Glad you are with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day. A lot of big games to cover uh, in the SEC and ACC. We'll get to that coming up here in just a, a little bit. We'll get to our picks for the week as well. But Georgia, South Carolina uh, coming up. Always a fun game. I know Georgia heavily favored uh, this weekend, but always a fun game when those two teams hook up. Our next guest, certainly a unique experience at South Carolina. Unique experience for just college football when at the age of 39, he became a South Carolina Gamecock football player in 2004. Tim Frisbee joins us here on uh, 3 and Out. Tim, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. Now, your experience in college football is unique uh, as it is. I went to uh, the Army after high school and after a 20-year career decided, hey, I'm going to make a, a go at, at college football. But what was that indoctrination to the SEC like when you, when you got there? Did you have a previous expectation? But when you first got there, kind of say, wow, this is – I've heard about uh, SEC football. Now I'm in it. Uh, this is crazy. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. Well, you know, you, you hear all the stories before you get there. Uh, but, uh, you know, and being an athlete, you know, all my career and even playing sports in the military, you know, you're used to, uh, you know, good athletes. But when you get to the SEC, you know – when they say every athlete's as good as you, uh, and uh, obviously a lot of some of them are, are much better, uh, it's the truth. I mean, every guy uh, on that field uh, was an athlete in his own right uh, at his own school, and now they're coming in here and competing at the highest level. Uh, you could believe me, there's uh, some competition there.
Well, you know, the first thing was, uh, and I was grateful for it, was when I first uh, uh, came out uh, for the team, nobody knew my age. It wasn't until almost after spring uh, practice was done my freshman year that, uh, you know, people started finding out my age through the press. So I had already, uh, you know, solidified myself kind of with the team and, uh, you know, at my position. And then, you know, it's really, you know, proving yourself to your teammates and that, uh, you know, you can do what's expected of you. And then, you know, once you earn their respect uh, and the coach's respect, uh, then from there, uh, you know, it's all about doing your job. Guys, though, I mean, you mentioned they didn't know your age until until uh, they read about it in the press. I mean, if I'm 18, 19 years old, and I said, "Wait a minute, Tim, man, I ain't even know you know you were you know 39 years old." You like you? I mean, I mean, I, I heard Steve Smith tell Akeem to leave. Ice up, young man. Were you telling them keep up, young man? Keep up. Well, I, I'll tell you, it was more of the coaches. <laughs> Once they found out, the coaches were always on them that hey, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Frisbee's doing this. You know, why can't you complete this run or why can't you do this? So, you know, there was a little extra pressure on him for sure. And, of course, uh, nobody wants to get beat by the old guy. I was a wide receiver. And, you know, those D-backs, you know, they take, they take it personal. The safety, they take it personal. Nobody, nobody wants to be on that film the next day uh, when Coach Spurrier or Coach Holtz was, uh, had the clicker in his hand and saying, uh, uh, you know, what's going on here? Tim Frisbee joining us here on Three and Out. Now, speak to, to Georgia Week. What was your kind of indoctrination to South Carolina and Georgia, and what, in your estimation, makes this game so unique? Well, obviously, uh, you know, it's become a great rivalry between uh, South Carolina and Georgia. My uh, Obviously, my freshman year, uh, 04, uh, was a great game up here in Columbia. We were up, uh, I believe, 16 nothing at the half. It could have been 20 nothing. I know it was 16 20 nothing at the half. Uh, Georgia came storming back second half. I uh, believe we lost that game by four points. So, uh, you know, th- th- and that was a, uh, a game day was in Columbia that day. So it was a, it was a big deal, packed house. And uh, that's what I've come to expect every year out of uh, Georgia and South Carolina, you know, being a, in one of the, the, the better games of the series. Well, well, thankfully, he's had some experience, and it's not like he's just thrown into the fire. He's had some P5 experience, uh, you know, obviously at Colorado State and uh, North Dakota State. So, uh, you know, he has a great head on his shoulders, a, a student of the game, obviously in that coaching room, so he knew what was going on. So, so it was all about, you know, knocking a little rust off that first game and, and then really uh, not asking him to, to do too much but to do the things he's capable of, and he's been able to uh, guide the team so far. So, uh, so far, so good, but obviously the work's cut out for him uh, Saturday if he's the starter against Georgia. Effort is going to take this weekend. I mean, obviously Georgia is one of the premier programs in the country, but South Carolina and Georgia—it's just different. I mean, you hit it, you hit it, you know, you hit a phrase. You could throw out the records. I mean, it's going to be—it's going to—it's at night. It's between the hedges. I mean, what? Is, but what is it going to take for a, a, a South Carolina team that's still trying to find its way? You know, in a in a very very uh, competitive SEC, definitely SEC East. But in your opinion, what is it going to take for South Carolina to you know not necessarily pull off the upset? Because I don't think it is an upset when you talk about the SEC, but to, to make sure those guys go out and give a, a great effort. Yeah, obviously, yeah, like I said, the work's cut out for them this week. You know, Coach Spurrier always told us, you know, to beat a team like Georgia, which this year they're a great team, to beat great teams, you have to have a great game yourself, and then you have to hope, uh, and through your hard work, hope that uh, 
that uh, they don't they're going to have a good game but you hope they don't uh that Georgia doesn't have a great game so that's what it's going to take to beat a team like Georgia obviously there's some offensive and defensive keys uh, that you're going to have to go through along the way South Carolina's O-line is going to have to play better than they've played this season so far. They, they've got to have formed some type of identity, uh, whether that's running, pass blocking, whatever. They need to find out to be able to do something against that Georgia defense. Uh, obviously, there's a great stable of running backs. They're about four deep back there, uh, but it's not going to do them any good if the, the offensive line is not uh, creating holes or creating opportunities for those guys, guys to run. Uh, and you're, then you're going to have to find a way to keep the Georgia honest in the passing game. You're going to have to take your shots downfield. Uh, you're going to have to, uh, you know, you're going to see them probably get uh, Zeb Nolan into the game early with some quick passes. And I would think they would try to pass short vertical passes versus trying to pass east and west, trying to do those tunnel screens. Because Georgia runs so well on defense, they cover the field side to side. It's going to be hard to, uh, you know, get yards going side to side against Georgia, and you don't want to really be doing that anyway. So, uh, like I said, you're going to have to create some type of vertical threat in your passing game and uh, take some shots deep. And I wouldn't even rule out, you know, maybe some type of trickery early. But you're going to have to pull out all the stops uh, against Georgia, especially the way their defense has been playing this year. You're going to have to pull out all the stops. And, and like I said, limit your turnovers, and I hope you have a great game. Tim Frisbee, former South Carolina wide receiver, joining us here on uh, 3 and Out. And, Tim, what's kind of your early impressions of Shane Beamer uh, and the job he's done in the takeover? I know he's only been there for a couple of games as a head coach, but what are kind of your early impressions of Shane Beamer and the direction he has for that program? Yeah, well, well one thing, he's, he's pressing all the right buttons. The guy's great with the press. Uh, the play, he's a player's uh, coach. The players love him. Uh, the fans gravitating towards him, so – uh, and he's uh, really uh, stressing uh, recruiting in, the, in this SEC footprint of North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. You know, so you know that's what the fans around here want to see. It's but uh, as we know, it's the results on the field. So obviously we've, we're out to a two and zero start, uh, getting better incrementally as the season's been going. Uh, you know, patching up a few things, but it, you know Georgia's not a great team to have for your third game when you're still kind of working out kinks on stuff, but. Now we'll see, uh, you know, what uh, his offensive defense coordinator and, and uh, Coach Beamer could come up with on Saturday night to uh, keep this game competitive. Well, you know, obviously, what made Coach Holtz and Spurrier successful was, uh, you know, you 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 hang on to everything they say. Obviously, you know they were uh, national championship coaches. Uh, they know how to coach the game. Uh, they know what's expected, especially Coach Spurrier, who was you know, a Heisman Trophy winner, offensive mind in himself. So being an offensive player myself, uh, you knew that he was going to put you in a position to succeed. Uh, you know, he'd always say, you know, especially to us receivers, to route runners, look, you know, we have certain plays. You need to get where you need to, where you need to get to on the field. The way I've developed this offense, the ball's going to be there. It's whether you're going to be there or not. And if you're not, the next guy's going to come in and somebody else is going to, uh, you know, take your spot. So, uh, you know, you just learn to uh, to, to be disciplined, uh, to be efficient, and to do your job out on the field. I mean, when you th- when you think about everything, I mean, uh, you know, you when you decide to do what you did in South Carolina, to know that all these years later you still being remembered, not just for what you did, but how you went about doing it, it's got to make you feel good. It's because the hardest thing to do when you go to these type of you know colleges and universities is to be remembered, to know that your legacy is going to live on, not just from the decision you made, but the type of teammate you became. It's got to make you feel good about that. Yeah, well, you know, I, I 
Yeah, and, and, and you know, you know, I always, I always try doing the right thing, uh, being a great teammate, number one, uh, no matter what, it, what was going on, whether it was national press, whatever, keeping my teammates involved, either bringing them along or, you know, getting them involved in uh, what was going on. It, it's all about the team. And, uh, you know, and, and a lot of people lose sight of that. And uh, a lot of times it becomes an individual thing. And uh, it was never that for me. I uh, just wanted to be a team player. And uh, if, you, if you work for the team, the team works for you for sure. Tim Frisbee, our guest here on 3 and Out, former South Carolina wide receiver. Tim, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Tim Frisbee, our guest here on 3 and Out. And the whole time we were doing that interview, all I, was, I, I could think of was, Ben, could you go play college football right now? Because I know you're not quite there. I'm not trying to make you older than you are, but that I'm, I'm thirty. I'm, th- I'm thirty. I'm thirty-nine. I'm oh, you 39. are. Okay, yeah. I was. I thought you were a little bit under that. But so, could you go out and play college football right now? Because he did it at thirty-nine uh, for for four years there at South Carolina. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to disrespect. Uh, you know what Tim? You know what Tim did. I mean, to have a dream to do something like that at age thirty-nine and to still do it at a high level and to have your and to have these guys and to have your teammates not even understand how old you are until they quote heard it through the heard it through the press. I mean, Tim. You know he's in a, he's in a class all by himself. But no, I'm not I'm not gonna start just because I did it before. Don't mean I can do it now. Hell, I I was barely able to do it then. So I'm not I'm not <laughs> even gonna go in my peak. But no, what Tim did is incredible. And you know the hardest thing to leave in anything you do is a legacy. He's definitely done that. But he said something that I think definitely resonated with me. He said I want to be a great teammate. And the great the great Steve Spurrier who I co- who coached me for two years and runs like said the same thing. You want to be a great player first. You need I mean if you want to be a great player eventually you you need to be a great uh, teammate first, and uh, that's and uh, so you know to, to speak to a guy like Tim and to see what type of legacy he had. I mean, his I ain't want to call him, his nickname is Pops. They call him Pops when he was there, man. But hey, man, you earned the respect of your teammates, man. But uh, I mean, he was yeah. old enough to be most of those guys' dad when he was on the freaking team. Oh, so shout out to that man. I mean, you start thinking about things like that, BJ. Like he was out of high school and started a job when he got and when he did that, going into the military. All the guys he came back and played with weren't born yet. Then he went to, to a 20-year military career, came back, and is playing with those, those guys. I mean, that is in, uh, just an insane thing when you sit there and, uh, and think about it. And certainly, he is well-remembered there at, uh, at South Carolina. As he said, look, they're going to have to play an A-plus effort to have a chance to beat Georgia coming up this weekend. We've got so much to get to here in the final hour of the show. Our picks, sure to go wrong. I'm surprised Christian hasn't given us the standings uh, because I – Oh, are they? They were down. I'm sure I'm down near the bottom. We've got more to come. Here, three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here on this Friday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Glad you're making us a part of your day. We'll get to our picks coming up in just a little bit. But the key to each Saturday is laying out a game plan, not only for the coaches, but for yourself. What am I going to do to get out of cutting the grass at 1230? What's the game plan? What games will have to be set up? Christian wants us to help folks who need that game plan to watch the best maximize their college football experience for a Saturday. You said channel flipping is okay, but you're talking about dual screens. Do you have to go dual screen mode? I know you have the the Bachelor set up with like a bunch of different games you can watch at the same time. But are you wanting one game at 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 a window or you want dual screen mode for I know that's a popular thing people do now is kind of set up their own three and four options well no so i understand that people 
older than myself struggle with technology. I so don't struggle with technology. If you're going to do the dual screens, you have to tell people how they need to set it up. And also, I'm not eliminating radio broadcasts. So if you want to have two games on a screen and then a transistor radio broadcasting whatever your local college team is, you can do that too. But what I need from you guys is the rundown starting at noon. Right. Because we don't have any 11 a.m. kicks like we had last week. Starting at noon and going through prime time, because by then we're all just mentally exhausted at like 10 o'clock and whatever game's on, we might just leave on in the background as we absorb what just happened from the day before, especially if there's an upset like Texas, Arkansas last week. It was awesome. It was just emotionally draining. I need a TV guide, basically, a schedule, a, 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 a bout, like a fight card showing sure. down all the way from top to bottom. And again, if you just have one screen and that's all you want to do and you're going to watch one game at a time, commercials included, fine. If you're going to watch a game at a time, but then during a commercial break, you're going to have that commercial game where you press previous on your remote and you go back to the other game, we'll, we'll allow that. I'm curious about Ben's. Because I know Ben himself is not going to follow his own program guide. Because no, like, I'm going to follow it. From 3.30 to 7.30, he's not going to be watching no, 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 college no, no. football. I, I, I'm actually good at this. I mean, no, no I, I know so, what to do. So, uh, Kevin, I'll let you say okay. who starts. But, I just again, I just need a, a rundown. Now, we're not giving you excuses sure. for, like, telling your wife, like, to cut. If you're cutting the grass at 12.30, rookie mistake. No, I know. you got to get up. Knock it out. Before I'm, the I'm, dawn I'm, and get it done. I'm, I'm with you. I, I was just trying to say, you know, I, I kind of think cutting the grass as like a honeydew list because, you know, there's different things on there. But if you cut the grass at 1230, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. You're a loser. No, I would say if you cut the grass at 1230 in South Georgia and it's not even football season. Psychopath. Yeah, yeah that, that's a problem. It's way too hot to be doing that most of the time. But I will say this. I will, I will get it started at least at the 12 o'clock window. From 12 at the 12 o'clock window is actually pretty nice here. But from 12 to 12.02, you want it on big noon kickoff because Nebraska and Oklahoma are kicking off. And then at 12.02, once they actually kick off, it's over and you don't need to watch anymore. But you could say you at least saw a, a half a second of it. I think if we're going one game only. Rhetoric from earlier in the show. This is just incredible. I'm giving it love. I said you could watch for two minutes and then you don't need to watch it anymore. It'll be over. I will say if we go for one game in the noon window, uh, I would go Cincinnati, Indiana, but make room for Virginia Tech, West Virginia on the flip over. That's my noon noon window for everybody. So hold on. So you're saying your strategy is main one one TV. You have a main game and you have a previous button game. Yeah, flip back gotcha. channel. Yeah, because I don't have the multi TV setup. So everyone has uh, a multi TV setup if you have a laptop. Uh, well, I'm, I'm taking that out of the equation. 12 o'clock to 12.02, you watch Nebraska and Oklahoma. At 12.02, you flip over to uh, uh, Cincinnati and Indiana. I think that's going to be a on competitive ESPN. game on ESPN. And then you keep on the flip channel, West Virginia and Virginia Tech. I think those are three really good options for you in the noon window. I can only do one game at a time. I'm not going to lie. I can't emotionally handle the constant fluidity and the change of kind of statistical interpretation. And also, just keeping it real, I don't, I don't, I don't have a consistent track record of keeping up with my remote, or my kids don't either. And I have like a little baby remote. It's it's smaller than my phone, and it gets lost all the time. So 
at some point during the three-hour window I'm in, maybe I can find the remote to change it or I can get up and change it. But I'm with you. I'm, I'm going one game at a time, 12 to 3.30. I'm going Cincinnati, Indiana. I think Cincinnati should be viewed right now as a college football playoff contender. I think they have earned that. This is a good test, not a national showcase game necessarily, but if you beat one of the better teams in the Big Ten, maybe win that game convincingly, I think that's further validation for the Bearcats. But I'm going one game at a time, and that's where I am at lunch. Not gonna, not, not, not gonna be able to go one game at a time. I watch, I watch TV the same way. I, you know, I go in my mind is, and my mind is always moving. So <laughs> I have three screens. I got my, I got my big screen to where I would put, and I would put it on Nebraska. You know, because I want Nebraska, Oklahoma, because I want to be able to say, hey, Scott Frost. I mean, zoom in on his face because this might be your last time. You know, as Nebraska head and you coach. Just want to hear Gus Johnson with the oh my, uh, oh my, on every single play. Then listen, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have Cincinnati. Uh, you know, uh, on the, on the laptop, and then the thing, and the thing about my. My phone is my phone. I can check all the scores. I'm just going through, looking at every single thing. Now, when 3:30 comes, I'm a little oh, bit you're, different. You're jumping straight to 3:30. Okay. Well, no, 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 no. I'm, this, this is the thing. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that up until 3:30, uh, Christian, and then. Radio silence. Like uh, you, you're I, not I told gonna, you. I told you. Guys. You're, you're not. You're not going to hear from me. Don't text. Now, I will say this about us, and I'm talking about. I'm talking about everybody on this network. Our our um we get the we get the. Uh, you know, our uh, stream of consciousness or whatever, when we start talking about these text messages, they get very, very quick, very, very fast. And it starts looking like Twitter. Somebody just answered somebody <laughs> that just said something. You know, cr- no, no, Christian doesn't. Christian will just say something like, wow, that's that. Now, that's crazy. No, and let's it, be honest about what it is. I will it's not respond me to saying, game. It's me saying all kind of text, nobody but Christian responding, and it basically just ends up being me and Christian talking. No, no PJ no, will hop in there, too. Kevin hates us. No, 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 no. It just, no. PJ will jump in there. <clears throat> Cam, I think, has learned this is not the complimentary I think, place. I think I clap back at Cam so hard that he's not going to text us anymore. He is. He's scared uh, to no, even pick this, up his this, phone. No, no, Don't no, even look at no, it. But this is what's funny. Sometimes we'll all just all right, stop. Hold on. We're getting off, we're getting off the yes, top. We have to stay focused. We have to give the people a guide. Yes. Okay. Laptop, cell phone, and your and your uh, and your TV. Right. So we Can we go to a commercial break yeah. here? Just like for me, real quick. Okay. Uh, this is this is Christian Gokel with your youthful. Uh, way to do this. So, just a little hack here. I feel like uh, Clark Howard coming in here. Yeah. Here's, your, here's your hack for watching multiple games. If you have a TV subscription and a smart TV, here's what you're going to need. You're going to need a smaller monitor. You're going to plug in your box into the monitor via an HDMI cable, and that's what you're going to actually watch your, uh, your, your cable on. On your smart TV, the big TV, you're going to download the app to whatever channel you need the espn app fox sports app you're going to sign into your cable provider on that so you already got two screens then you're going to sign into your cable provider on the other game on the other channel you want to watch on your laptop and so you'll have three games going right there with one subscription Back how do you, you know if your tv is smart uh if it has apps it talks, on it it talks back if it has apps on it <laughs> no, first window, very good. Uh, if you have any questions, please no. direct them to at underscore biscuits gravy on Twitter. Uh, yes. He'll answer all your questions. I'll be happy to walk you through how to set up your television. That's what I enjoy doing all day, every day. No. Yo, you're a dad. That's what dads do. The BJ just asked, how do you know if it's a smart TV? Yeah, it talks back to you. It's fine. My TV don't t- I got a no, smart I'm TV, but I, ain't, I don't know how to get it to talk back to you. I'm going to try that when I get I'm to the house. I'm just kidding. I was a, uh, you can't I was, do that? Christian, Christian, can a smart TV talk to you? Yes, Ben. Go talk to your TV. <laughs> 
I'm going to go somewhere. <laughs> but again, then we get to the 330 window. We get to the 330 window. I'm pretty simple. You can have all the extra screens you want. Florida, Alabama, I don't care about the rest of the games in the 330 window. Just being honest, I'll see the ticker across the bottom. Florida, Bama, the rest of the games I'll, I'll catch up on later. The that's I mean, so that's a good point. They do give you like constant updates at the bottom, and they come in with the highlights. Yeah, it's got to stay on. It's got to stay on Florida, Alabama. I think this is going to be a better game than people think. I'm excited to see more of Anthony Richardson. Bryce Young has been brilliant. Want to see more of him? Yeah. It, well, the only one of us who won't be watching Alabama, Florida, is the you know former Florida All American. But yes, give me give me this all after. Can I get to another commercial break here before you go? Because this is where you get weird. Yeah. All right, you guys are completely underselling the 3:30 window. You have Florida State, Wake Forest. Come Wake on. Forest is actually a favorite in that game. Wake Forest is 2-0 when they played two pretty crappy schools. You want to watch more Florida State An football? hour before Alabama-Florida, you have Purdue at Notre Dame, where Notre Dame, again, has a size problem, uh, and so they didn't let the drum come into the stadium. So we're going to have Purdue in a close game against Notre Dame. Can we just go ahead and knock Notre Dame out of the college football playoff talk? You guys are completely underselling this window. Plus, there's a very distinct chance that it's 21 to nothing in the first quarter, and you're already looking for another game. I said so what I said. they need to have another option. Okay, fine. Another option. If you want to flip around, watch Florida Bama till four o'clock. I will flip over to SEC Network and, watch, and see what Georgia Southern and Arkansas. You want to watch Georgia Tech Clemson? I don't think that's going to be a ball. All right. Game. All right, go ahead, um, I'm definitely going to be watching everything but Florida, Alabama for the simple fact that I'm going to stick to what I normally do and never watch them Gators. But my mama is going to be disrespectful, and she's going to get it in some kind of way. She's going to start uh, texting me things about the game. Like, did you just see this? Did you just see do that? Do you watch college football like while Florida's playing? Y- yes, yes. So, like, you I, see yes. like the game breaks. Well, well, well this, what, no, no, no. I'm or do you like, what, turn off the TV when the game? No, no, no. Because okay, so how my so because I do because uh, on the ESPN app or whatever it it just shows me everything Florida does. So if I click if I just click on ESPN, it'll just show me the score. I'm like, I'm like, I don't even want, I don't even want to see it. But I will, but look, I will be watching Georgia Tech, Clemson. I will be watching, you know, Florida State, Wake Forest, or Purdue, Notre Dame, because I don't want to watch Florida. Now, it's do fair. me watching the game have anything to do with them winning and losing? No, but in my mind, it does. But the people at home, yes, you should watch Florida and Alabama because that is the best game at 3:30. Because at the end of the day, regardless of what happens, regardless of what happens, Florida needs to look good for two reasons: one, because they look good in the East, and two, they don't want to look bad because the Miami fans. They're going to be ready to troll right, because of what happened time. we won. Yeah, we got we to scroll through it. Primetime, if, if Florida, Alabama falls by the wayside in the 330 window, uh, a lot Uh-oh. of those games look to be uh, blowouts. You can hit up the laptop, and if you just want to watch interesting football at 6 o'clock, I'm trying to find it on the, on the rundown here, Presbyterian Campbell never punts. Uh, Presbyterian never punts, always goes for two, always onside kicks. Could be wild. Something to do until Georgia, South Carolina starts at 7 and then have the remote ready because in 30 more minutes and South Carolina, Georgia could be out of hand. You which go to Penn, you go to Penn State Auburn game? at 7:30. Which one's the main game on your TV? I'm probably watching Penn State Auburn because I've like I've I've cheered for that one for like four right. months. So I, I I don't want to be a hypocrite and say go somewhere else. But I, I'm Penn State Auburn for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm Penn State Auburn. Really interested to see what we have here with Auburn. If they win, they're the clear front runner right now, or, or, or top contender, I should say, to Alabama out west. <laughs> Yes, I'll be watching Penn State. Uh, Penn State, um, you know, Auburn for the simple fact that my team probably got the break, got the doors blown off of them. So let me just start rooting against another team in the SEC. That being Auburn, rooting for them Penn State boys, James Franklin. But yeah, the Zombie Nation will be locked and loaded. Let's go, Bo Nicks. Let's go, Penn State. I don't got no horse in this race. I can't lose. All right, quickly, let me give you your second screen and laptop games for the prime time window. Second screen's probably Georgia, South Carolina until they start to pull away. If you need something to flip to. 
if Georgia starts to pull away, then uh, again, you have the uh, the GPA game where you have Stanford at Vanderbilt. That one could be fun, depending on how long it goes. If you just want a good game, Oklahoma State, Boise State. But then I think your laptop game has to be just for entertainment purposes and an amazingly beautiful game to watch in terms of uniforms. Tulane, Ole Miss. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. At uh, 8 o'clock. That, that one will you, be an you got to tune in for that one. That will be the flip over channel. And then finally, when you are up late and you're trying to maybe make a few bucks back, San Jose State at Hawaii, 12.30 a.m. kickoff. That game will be over at 4 o'clock in the morning. Good luck with that, but maybe it gets you back to even. <laughs> the there you go. Saturday. We'll come back. We'll get to some of our picks. Speaking of getting back to even, we'll break that down next here, 3 and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here, three and out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop, getting into our picks this week to get you into the college football uh, weekend. Looking at the standings, somehow, and you can go to ESPNCoastal.com and get this. Somehow, Cody Queen is leading the picks. But, well, the grave. but anyway, as far as the show's concerned, Christian and I are tied uh, so far, BJ and Ben. Nope, BJ is one game ahead of Ben. Uh, so, well, ben? ben is dead last. Uh, at the end of the day so just give us the picks we're going to try to go through these relatively quickly because we got a lot to get to here on the show uh virginia tech at west virginia west virginia minus two and a half a slight favorite there at home yeah, I think it'll be a close game. Uh, to me, I trust what I've seen out of Virginia Tech beating North Carolina and then looking good against Middle Tennessee State. I'll take the Hokies. <coughs> oh, Ben just fell out. Apparently that was a bad Are you okay? Bit, bit, I, I don't know if he was upset at your take or what in the world. You want me to go ahead and pick? I mean, I, I will take Virginia Tech if you're giving me two and a half points. I will also go with the Hokies. Are, are you are you okay? Seriously. I, I, think, I think I'm okay now. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Virginia Tech seems to be the team that nobody wanted to talk about. Because they want, they want the preseason favorite like UNC. But I will also take the Hokies. Everybody going Hokies there. Michigan State at Miami. The Canes lost big in week one. Barely got over uh, late there on App State. They are laying six and a half at home against Michigan State. Yeah, I think Miami wins this game. I think it'll be a close game like last week against Appalachian State. But uh, a touchdown, essentially, I will take Michigan State with the points. Miami going to have to definitely find a way to stop the run, but I do think Miami going to come out on top. So give me the Canes. Yeah, I think uh, I don't feel good. This is my I'm going to pick Miami, but I don't feel good about it. Uh, game of the week. So I will go Miami laying the six and a half. Purdue is at Notre Dame. Notre Dame, a touchdown favorite. I guess that a lot due to the fact they blew a big lead week one and then had to escape in week two. Yeah, and they always say you're never as good or as bad as you looked the week prior, that there's a basically a market correction. Uh are they going to look bad three weeks in a row? I'm going to give Notre Dame the benefit of the doubt. I'll take the Irish laying a touchdown. Purdue usually try to play spoilers when you're talking about games like this, but it's just too early in the season. It usually be later in the season. So because it's early, I will take Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm going to go Notre Dame minus a touchdown here in, in this one as well. Well, I, I, well I, I'm, I'm more confident in Notre Dame than I am Purdue. That's why I'm going. Feel free to pick Purdue, getting seven. Okay, well, then fine. You're over here giving, you're like, I can't have a. Oh, Notre I, Dame, Notre Dame, why? All right, watch. Notre Dame's going to win by 25. Uh, State, it's fine. I, I, my guess is Notre Dame takes this one uh, to the house on, uh, on, on Purdue at the end of the day. Alabama at Florida. Florida, a 14 point underdog here. 
Yeah, my preview on Southern Pigskin, I picked uh, Alabama 34-23. to I think this game's relatively close, a little closer than the line, so I'll take, I'll take the Gators to cover. I do think Florida going to play very, very well. I don't think that – I don't think – I mean, if they still like a year away or maybe a couple of years away we talk about what Alabama brings to the table. They're going to have to use everything, two quarterbacks, that, uh, that crowd noise, uh, that scheme from Dan Muller and a good defense, but I'm still going to take Alabama. I just think these guys are just playing at a different level right I'm now. with Ben. I think Alabama's on a different different plane. I'm, I'm laying two touchdowns with Alabama going this one. Florida State at Wake Forest. Florida State uh, getting – Four and a half points. Getting four and a half points at Wake Forest. Yeah, I think if we're being consistent, uh, Florida State finds ways to lose games close. I think Florida State covers. Uh, you know, you look at week one, they lost by three points. You look at week two, they lost by three points. Doesn't matter if you're playing a top 10 team or an FCS team. So I will take, I will take Florida State to cover in this one, but maybe lose close again. BJ, I know, I mean, you be talking about these market correction games. Maybe it's time to have a market correction game in, in favor of them Seminoles. I mean, Wake Forest, I mean, I, in, I, mean, I think they're going to, you know, definitely give Florida State all they can handle. But Coach Norvell's not going to start out 0-3, I mean, uh, you know, in year two. So give me, give me them Florida State boys. Yeah, I can't see Florida State going 0-3 either. I think they, they showed some, some fight, at least in the first game. I think after a, after a performance like last week, you expect a better performance this week. I will take Florida State plus the four and a half. Georgia Tech at Clemson. Clemson laying 28. These big lines make me nervous because it's not necessarily a final score that has to be indicative of four quarters of complete domination. It's think about a scenario where, you know, Clemson's winning 42 to 14 at the end. They put in their backups and Georgia Tech scores. I don't think Georgia Tech's ever in this game, but I think they cover the 28 point spread. Much like uh, Notre Dame. BJ afraid of things that are big. <laughs> no big drums, no big spreads. Go ahead, Ben. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, BJ, I mean, you know, Georgia Tech, we understand that, you know, they, they're going to be in an uphill battle. No one, the barometer is always Clemson, fair or unfair. This comes down to how they look, you know, in a value level against Clemson. I'm going to take Clemson, obviously, in a big way, but I think Georgia Tech going to have to go out there and put out a really, really good uh, good fighting chance, a good, a good effort, because Jeff Collins, he's going to need all the good publicity he can get. Clemson lane 28. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean that's, that's, that's a pretty easy pick in my estimation. Arkansas, 23-and-a-half point favorite to host Georgia Southern. Yeah, I, I'm going to be consistent here. The big lines make me nervous. I think Georgia Southern will, you know, play with with a lot of passion and enthusiasm. And then it's the letdown game for Arkansas. You just had the best win in a decade. Can you maintain that week to week? I'll take Georgia Southern to cover. As the Sam Pittman understands, it's all about getting the six wins. He haven't even really got into that daunting SEC West schedule. He ain't gonna be playing around with these Georgia Southern boys. I know Georgia Southern gonna come out and give you know a, a great effort because once again, oh, Coach Lux. Oh. Didn't you pick Georgia Southern on the internet? You made a tweet, and didn't you? Listen, I can say whatever I want on Twitter. <laughs> don't, don't, don't worry about what I say on Twitter. You don't know what me and Jared B going to be saying. I'm just saying, BJ. <laughs> listen, I'm pick, I'm, listen, over there I was picking with my heart right now. I'm picking with my head, so I'm going with Arkansas, and I'm sticking with it. Yeah, I had Arkansas uh, laying the 23 and a half. I feel like Georgia Southern, again, with some uncertainty. Uh, at, I say uncertainty at quarterback. You got Tomlin coming back, but he's yet to play so far uh, this season. Don't know if you're going to have J.D. King defensively. You're going to need a huge effort. I'm going to have Arkansas laying the 23 and a half in that one South Carolina at Georgia Georgia laying 31 and a half 
It's one of the biggest lines I can remember ever seeing for a conference game, uh, over 30. Look, Georgia's going to control this game. They're going to win by multiple scores. But you're giving me 31 and a half. I'm going to take South Carolina. Wow, man. Can I, can I give you a reference point here real quick? App State was a 33-point underdog to Michigan in 2007. Yeah, I mean. That's huge. I mean, it's, again. I mean, I mean, the point. I mean, you trying to talk like, us into it one way or another, but I uh, look. Go ahead, Ben. No, I mean, I, wow. Thirty-three. I mean, Georgia. Georgia. I just, I just think Georgia gonna put out, and they are gonna give all they can handle on offense and defense. You know what Georgia defense brings to the table, and maybe they even force some turnovers. You know, I love Zeb Nolan, and, you know, you know, uh, and Harris and those guys. But man, thirty-one and a half. But I'm gonna still take them Georgia boys in the points. I, I, I think they're gonna find a way to cover. Yeah, I thought we thought the spread last week on Georgia was big, and they obliterated that pretty quickly. I'm gonna say Georgia laying the thirty-one and a half here. Auburn at Penn State. Penn State minus five at home. I think that you're giving Auburn five points. You got to take that. And I don't know that Auburn wins. I think it's going to be down to the wire. It's going to be close. But if you think it's going to be a field goal game, well, if you take Auburn, whichever way that goes, you win. So I'll take Auburn with the points. Bo Nix played Justin Herbert his first game ever, you know, in college football and find a way to get it done. He don't care about hostile environments. He's trying to show that last year was a fluke. He's trying to show that he's benefiting from that two-headed monster running game. Coach Harson, Coach Bobo, and a, and a, and a very well-balanced defense, I'm going to take Auburn. And again, I, I, I've kind of secretly uh, had a, uh, been riding for Penn State. I think this is a year in the Big Ten they might actually be able to get past the Ohio State hurdle. And you look how Ohio State has performed so far. I think that's going to be a big game for them down the road. Lane five at home against Auburn. Auburn's looked really good. It hadn't been against Penn State caliber. It's been against teams that they should beat and should beat badly. I'm going to say Penn State laying the five there in Happy Valley. Virginia at North Carolina. North Carolina an eight-point favorite laying eight in the South's oldest continuous rivalry. Yeah, and listen, I, North Carolina's got to look the part here. I mean, you were you were really out of sync offensively against Virginia Tech. Sam Howell's coming off a game where he had 300 passing yards and 100 rushing yards against Georgia State. I think a little more offensively, I think a late score helps them cover. I'm going to lay the points and take the heels. North Carolina is a team that's definitely underwhelmed at this point. I know UVA is going to be definitely trying to play the spoiler this weekend, but I think Sam Howell and offense gets back on track. I'm going to go with North Carolina. Yeah, I – I, I, I'm going with North Carolina only because 0-2 in the conference is devastating for North Carolina with so much preseason hype, so much expectation for them to come out 0-2 in the conference. I think they're going to be focused in on this ball game. They're the one coming in ranked. They've got something to, uh, to hold on to. I mean, Virginia's going to play with nothing to lose, but I think North Carolina laying the eight will be good enough coming up on Saturday. That's our quick look at our picks. Certainly, I don't know if you want to take those to the bank, but our picks nonetheless as we head into the college football weekend. Actually, yeah, I'm, I actually am doing good. Apparently, of the three of us, I am the one All right, but hold on, Kevin. You do, know, you do know just because you make a pick and you get it right does not mean you made the correct pick. You don't use hindsight to validate the information you had at the time the pick was made. You make the pick based off the information you have prior to kickoff. Spoken like a true loser who's sitting there at sub-500. We got more to come. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.